If there's one sector that has experienced more than its fair share of stress and uncertainty during the pandemic, it's the restaurant and food service industry. Even before COVID, mental health issues were rampant. In 2019, a Canadian nonprofit called Not 9 to 5 surveyed workers in that sector and found that 90% of them experience mental health and or substance abuse challenges. And now that organization is trying to help as workers in that sector deal with the added stress of COVID-19. Hassel Avilas is the executive director of Not 9 to 5. Hassel, good morning to you. Good morning. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Go back, I mean, to the early days of the pandemic. It's hard to remember now. But back then, when did you start to hear from people in the industry about what they were going through and what were they telling you? It feels eerily familiar right now as we're entering a new lockdown here in Ontario. After the first week or so, there was a lot of dark stories being shared, dark thoughts being felt and experienced. Our industry is known for the constant go, go, go. Sometimes you don't even take the legal breaks that you are entitled to. So having folks that aren't used to stopping, having adequate rest and sleep at home alone uh, definitely sparked a ton of reflection and a lot comes up when you finally stop. In part, yeah. this is an industry that, I mean, it's it's precarious work in many cases. It's often work that is poorly paid. We know that there are issues around exploitation, the hierarchy within kitchens and restaurants, the concerns that, that you know, people have talked about around uh, substance abuse as well. All of that, I would think, would shape someone's ability to respond to the stress and anxiety that they might be feeling in that situation. Yes. And unfortunately, though, a lot of us rely on unhealthy coping mechanisms because workplace mental health and you know managing your own mental health in, in your own life are not commonly discussed topics in hospitality and restaurant. So having access to resources and access to support are not as common. Certain office type environments, you have access to employee assistance programs, benefits. In our industry, unfortunately, we tend to rely on substances to cope often and other unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so that that was the real kind of fear and danger. And, and we did see an increase in substance use. And also in the last two years, there has been a result of an increase in suicide and substance use related deaths, which don't go reported often enough, sadly, um, but they are happening. And in our industry, it's quite rampant. Mm. I mean, when we surveyed people last year in 2021, 84% of our industry saying yes to experiencing anxiety, 87% experiencing burnout, 77% experiencing depression. These are not low numbers and they are not going away. And a lot of that is related to the lack of access to care and resources. How aware and how much attention is being paid by the owners in this industry, whether it's a small family-run operation or, or big companies that are operating in the hospitality sector, to the mental health of their employees, given those large numbers? It's really hard to answer, but overall, like from what I see and hear, there's not enough at all attention being put on the small businesses. And it's like a pressure cooker. There's really only so much you can add and continue to put a small business owner through um, before it breaks. And that's why, you know, across Canada, we've lost over 10,000 restaurants. And I imagine that this year we'll see more. So 
it's really hard to ask an owner operator that's just trying to keep the lights on and constantly dealing with closures and lockdowns mm. and, you know, the in- uncertainty of staff and losing tens of thousands of dollars in product from one day to the next because of restrictions that are imposed, you know, from one minute to the next. And so having insufficient government support for these businesses is a big part of why you don't see more workplace mental health initiatives. In the absence of that, your organization has stepped in to try and offer some assistance. Tell me specifically what you're doing to help people throughout this time we realized that what was really missing as well was some way to assess people's learning. So just like in Ontario, you need a SmartServe certification to sell and work with alcohol. We have now developed a mental health certification program that mm-hmm. is launching called Connected. It is going to be online and available to anyone um, in the next couple of weeks. And so you would the be I- certified how? I mean, with a SmartServe, you're certified. You get the certification if you go through the course so that you can safely serve alcohol. What's the certification here? You can safely support someone in a time of need. So support skills that you can learn, and it's not about fixing anything or solving anyone's problem. But once you learn how to ask for consent to offer support and learn skills like active listening, um, learning how to hold space and validating people's experience and treating everyone with dignity and respect in those moments, you can really make a massive difference. It's a big practice of suicide prevention. So if you can empower people with vocabulary and skills to know what to do in certain situations, you can help save someone's life. It's really great to talk to you, as always, about the work that you're doing. Thanks for that, and thanks for speaking with us. Oh, thank you for having me, Matt. Take care. And you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hassel Avilas is executive director of Not 9 to 5. It's a nonprofit supporting restaurant and food service workers' mental health. Bill Howitt has decades of experience working with companies and organizations on workplace mental health. He's the founder and CEO of Howitt HR. Bill, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm well. If you take a look at this broadly, how much of a strain has this pandemic put on the mental health of workers in this country? Well, we know that there's all types of data in the last two years we've been collecting. I've led research myself with the Mental Health Commission of Canada. Anxiety and depression is going up. But we need to keep in mind, Matt, before COVID, we had one in five Canadians with a mental health issue. The World Health Organization predicted by 2030, one of the number one causes of premature death is depression. So if there's a silver lining, now I think more employers, because of what's happening with their disability management costs, the challenges of retaining workforces, we're at a point in time where we need to get serious and help folks right now, mm. but we also need to pave the highway a little bit wider. Well, what's your sense as to how much attention companies are paying to the issue of mental health of their workers. I mean, you can talk about what's happening in offices, and that's one thing with EAP programs and what have you. But beyond that, if you look at manufacturing, if you look at retail, are those sectors paying as much attention to this as they should? I think they're starting. I work for a very large, I won't say the name, a very large manufacturer, too. Both of them are, you know, one's a global brand, one's another. They're starting, a lot of senior folks are starting to pay more attention to it. The challenge is, in my opinion, I've just finished doing some work leading a study with the Canadian Standards Association. What our data is finding is that more organizations are spending lots of time in the plan and the do. Like, you know, here's the program, here's the activity. But that the check and the act to see if what they're actually doing is working or all the wonderful programs they have 
are they making it clear when employees can access these programs? Or do, feel, do employees feel safe in even talking about this? Again, the, the first guest, we're not naming her in part because she's concerned about employment yeah. issues in, in talking about this, but do people feel comfortable in, in, in talking about this? No, the answer is not enough. Some more starting peer support programs like your last guest are starting to knock down barriers. Now, it's interesting when I introduce myself real quick, I tell people I have, you know, I've seen clients for over 30 years. I've done a lot of work in the mental health space, but I lived my entire life with a mental illness myself. And I actually understand this concept of stigma. There's three types. There's self, there's peer, and there's organization. And until we get to the point where a part of the education is that mental health is different than mental illness, mental health is just not EAP and extended benefits for psychological services or suicide prevention or et cetera. Mental health also includes like every interaction employee has in the workplace. It can be a charge or a drain. So in your first guest, for example, that she had the courage to talk to her employer to start to move past some stigma so she can start to normalize a, a certainly an unnormal situation for many of us living in a pandemic. You talk about something called psychologically safe workplaces. What are those? The psychologically safe workplaces where I can feel comfortable if you're my boss to speak my mind, to be able to share what I'm thinking without feeling like I'm going to be judged. Because many of us don't wake up in the morning saying, I can't wait to go to work and give my ideas and be told I'm stupid, dumb, and not worthy. So some of us will go into silence because we're scared. Uh, a psychological safe workplace is focused on inclusion, committed to have every employee feel welcomed, listened to, and heard. Well, give me a couple of specific examples about what employers should be doing right now to prevent these issues from exacerbating and, and leading to what people have been calling the shadow pandemic uh, of a yeah, mental health crisis coming out of this crisis? So one is get your data. So we created in partnership with the Mental Health Commission of Canada, an instrument to measure, get employers to baseline. So for example, where's our isolation levels at? Where's our stigma levels at? Where are people concerned about uh, work demand. What are people thinking about their, their manager experiences? Step number two is let's not assume leaders have the skills to manage employees remotely. And many leaders do not know that they have a responsibility to support employees at risk. And importantly, leaders need to learn how to take care of their own mental health. And then the third part I would say is let's not hallucinate that employees understand what mental health is or what mental fitness is. You know, you don't get on a Stairmaster once and get ripped. It's not going to happen. So let's stop sending employees to a two-hour workshop and resiliency expecting that's going to fix them. Why is this a good investment for companies to make? World Health Organization says for people that you have employees who are supporting treatments, so a lot of employers that are supporting buying what's called cognitive behavioral therapy. For every dollar they spend in treatment, they can get a $4 return. Deloitte did a study for organizations in Canada that for every dollar they invest in mental health, they can get $1.64 over three years. It was a small sample size, but we have done a lot of research as well as we understand employers that invest in mental health, and then they work with the key stakeholders, the employees, is what we're doing actually working and doing what we hope it will do, those employers can have a big impact in influencing the employee experience and creating more pleasant emotions 
and helping people become more resilient, but the employer has a major role in facilitating that experience as well. Bill, it's great to talk to you about this. This is important. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Matt. Bill Howitt is founder and CEO of Howitt HR. The new year brought a little more money for a lot of workers here in the U.S. Minimum wage increases kicked in on January 1st in 21 states. Gina Schaefer is the CEO of a chain of Ace Hardware stores located in the greater Washington, D.C. metro area. Workers inside the district have been getting more than $15 per hour since last July, with another bump expected later this year. But neighboring Maryland and Virginia don't plan to reach 15 bucks until 2025. Schaefer decided to implement the pay bump across the board in all her stores. Our co-host Rachel Martin talked with Schaefer about how this extra cost affects businesses. One of the things that's really hard for business owners of any size is to plan for the future. So when Washington, D.C., for example, decided that we were going to phase in the $15 minimum, we had several years to do that. So each year in my budgeting process, I could take a look at what we had to do in order to be uh, more profitable, a better place to work, and for all of this to make sense. And so you know four years from now what you're going to have to pay at a minimum. doesn't mean we should just pay the minimum, but it gives us a chance to look at all of the other things that we have to do. And so that may be getting better cost of goods, which means looking at different vendors. It may mean shopping out service providers that we've used for a decade, our healthcare providers, our you know workers' comp insurance, all of those programs that I think I, as a business owner, know that I can get complacent with, oh, I love that service provider. They've always been Mm. good to us. That doesn't mean it's the least expensive. And so raising the wage is just one of those components of running the business. And if we can look at it a couple years in advance, you know what you're going to pay. Does the consumer inevitably have to have some of this extra cost passed on to them? This is one of the biggest complaints when it comes to raising the wage. Oh, prices are going to go up. So I thought of a couple examples Um, my rent at all of my locations goes up at least 3% every year. That means technically I could raise my prices two to 3%. I don't, but I could. My health insurance coverage for our teammates, and we, we pay 80 to 90% of our teammates' health insurance goes up between seven and 17% every year which means I could raise my prices between 7 and 17%. But nobody walks into my door and says, hey, I bet your health insurance has gone up this year. Are you going to charge me more? But the second you start talking about raising the wages of the people who are actually providing the service, prices for the consumer is, is immediately questioned. But have you had to raise prices? So we have raised our prices probably every year we've been in business because our cost of goods go up from our vendor. We have not specifically raised our prices because the wages have gone up. The cost of living is going up everywhere. Do you think the updated minimum wage, even just to $15 an hour, do you think that's enough? No, I don't. And you know, I'm, I always hesitate to say that because on, on one hand, I want my team to be proud of the fact that they are part of an organization that wants to pay higher wages. And we do a whole lot of other benefit kinds of things to you know bring the entire compensation package up. But when it comes to straight dollars, I don't think 15 is enough. But the reality of retail and the race to the bottom line for cheapest prices and fewer employees, all of those things impact how those of us who want to pay more can pay more. Is your retention better as a result of the higher wages? Yeah, I I think our retention is a lot better. I mean, this last year posed some challenges. We sold 20% of our business to our employees in July as part of an exit strategy that my husband and I have have formulated. And so I now call 160 of my teammates co-owners, and I think that's going to help us make a difference. Gina Schaefer, she's the CEO of a chain of Ace Hardware stores. Thank you so much for taking the time. 
Thanks, Rachel. Take this job and shove it. Data shows the great resignation is still full steam ahead. We learned earlier this week that a record 4.5 million U.S. workers left their jobs in November. The service industry, transportation, healthcare, and social work saw some of the biggest losses. So why do people continue to switch jobs at such a high rate? Where are they going? And what does it say about the labor market going forward? Joining us now to talk through what we know is Matt Notawadigdo. He's a professor of economics at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Welcome to Reset, Professor. Hi, thanks for having me. What were your initial thoughts when you heard people are quitting their jobs in, in record high numbers? Well, I mean, I think the first question I always have is, are they are they quitting to go do something else? Or are they quitting to leave the labor market? And all the data I've seen indicates that this is mostly what we would call job-to-job transitions, people voluntarily quitting their job to go do something else. My, my colleague, Steve Davis, does, really doesn't like the great resignation term. He calls it the great reallocation. These are workers moving between jobs, choosing to do something else as the economy recovers. Is this something that we should be concerned about? Well, I think the bigger concern is, is not the churn or this reallocation. I mean, the, the American labor market, is, there's, all, there's lots of people changing jobs all the time, both in recessions and in normal times. You know, my, my concern is not the quits. It's, my concern is more the fact that we're still short about 3 million jobs from prior to the recession. Those jobs are in a lot of the sectors that you just mentioned, healthcare, leisure, you know, recreation, entertainment, restaurants, also state and local government. So I'm, I tend to pay more attention to what I think of as, as like a job shortage, not the quit rate. You know, the fact that workers are quitting their job to do something else voluntarily is usually a sign that the economy is in pretty good shape, right? That people are, are they have options. They can choose to do something else. So when we say that people are quitting their jobs, does it mean that they're leaving the workforce altogether? Well, like I said, I think it's, you, want to, you want to track them and figure out what they're doing. Are they quitting to leave the labor market? Are they quitting to do something else? And the data that I've seen indicates it's more quitting their job to do something else. What, what, what we're seeing in the data right now is that there's still people that are reluctant to rejoin the labor force. They're still sitting on the sidelines. And I think that's the people that we need to focus on to understand, you know, why, why we're still so many jobs short relative to where we were prior to the start of the pandemic. And, and can we pin this to the start of the, the pandemic or were the numbers ramping up before? No, I, I think that you know, there's been gradual trends in, in labor force participation as our country gets older, people leave the labor market. But, but what really changed during the pandemic was that people left the labor force and still haven't come back. You know, it's the thing that I, has caught me the most by by surprise. I, I expected the unemployment rate to recover quickly because we saw early on that so many people who were unemployed were just on temporary layoffs. So I predicted that the unemployment rate would come down quickly, and it has. What I didn't expect is that you'd still see so many people reluctant to just rejoin the labor force. They're still sitting on the sidelines. That, that I don't that, that I, I did not predict. Mm-hmm. Well, one thought that uh, our producer had was that, you know, there were things that people couldn't talk about at work before, but it's now more socially acceptable to talk about, like racism and sexism. So could people these days sort of demanding, and in some cases having more options to have more equitable working conditions, could that be a factor in so many people leaving their jobs? I think it's possible. I I, I haven't seen a lot of direct evidence on that, but I'll, I could speak from my own experience um, at a university. You know, I have lots of friends at universities all around the country, you know, it's, it's people are quitting university jobs to go do something else or they're moving between universities. And I think that that's related to a lot of the churn that we're talking about here. 
So give us a breakdown of the, the kind of people making the jump. Is it men? Is it women? What's their background or socioeconomic status looking like? Well, I, in terms of the, the reallocation that we're talking about, it seems pretty broad-based. So men and women are changing jobs at about the same rate. Um, it's hard to get racial breakdowns, um, but like foreign-born versus native-born, so it's like immigrants versus non-immigrants also seem to be changing jobs at about the same rate. You know, again, if I just think about my own experience at the university, I, I have this sense, it, it's a, you know, a vague sense that the women and minority faculty are the ones that are really reconsidering whether this is the best place for them, and they also seem to have the most options. They're getting phone calls from other universities that in this moment are really trying to diversify their faculty, and so it makes it hard for our, our university to, to try to retain our female and minority faculty. Mm. Any idea from what you've seen so far, Matt, when these numbers might even out a bit? Well, on, on in terms of like the worker shortages, I, I think it's just all, as it has been from the beginning, just tied to the pandemic. You know, the shortages in these sectors that I mentioned before, it's these are service, it's a service sector. You know, it's, it's not going to get back to normal until the virus completely goes away. Um, in, in healthcare, it's a little harder for me to, to make sense of. I, I, I do research in healthcare, and this has caught me by surprise. Healthcare workers leaving their job and, and doing something else, it might be hard to get them back. And that, that's, I, I'm, I'm worried that that could take a long time to recover. Matt Nodawadigdo is a professor of economics at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Professor, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's continue the conversation about the great resignation by bringing things a little closer to home. Good morning. I'm Noel King. I'm Audie Cornish. This is Code Switch from NPR. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. This is Weekend Edition from NPR News. I'm Lulu Garcia-Navarro. Those are a few of the most prominent journalists to announce they're leaving the network in recent weeks, all of them women of color. Media reporter Paul Fari has been following the turnover at NPR for The Washington Post. Welcome to Reset, Paul. Thanks for having me. Paul, is there a common thread to why not just these big names are leaving public media, but also other journalists of color behind the scenes? No, I don't think there is a common thread. I think there are several threads, though, and uh, we can talk about those, of course. Uh, but uh, obviously, uh, the great resignation is part of this, that people having other opportunities elsewhere and they're going to them. Uh, but a part of it is also the culture within NPR and public radio. Uh, I think there is a, a undercurrent of great dissatisfaction that is reflected in these, you know, departures uh, of these prominent people and people who are behind the scenes as well. You know, the technicians, the producers, uh, the journalists who don't get on the air. And, and the problems that they're facing, this goes to the, the journalists leaving local stations as well? Yeah, there's uh, some of that as well. Um, you know, this is a period in which there's been an explosion of opportunity within the audio journalism business. Reduce it to one word, podcasts. There are many, many, many podcasts, some uh, better than others, obviously, and some uh, better produced and hosted than others. So if you are an audio journalist with some experience and some talent, uh, you've got some opportunities right now. And I think uh, we're seeing a little bit of that. Uh, for instance, uh, Lulu uh, Garcia Navarro, who you quoted at the beginning there, she went to the New York Times to start a podcast there. 
Uh, we don't know where Audie Cornish is going, but I would suspect she'll end up doing some other something like that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Noel is is gone uh, with Vox, working on a uh, podcast that's right. as well. That's yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, so so there are some similarities in, in where they're going once they leave NPR. Yeah, I mean, these people are well-known and they're talented and they have a special set of skills that are very marketable these days. Um, And so they're taking that opportunity. But, you know, the real question is, is why you would want to leave public radio and why NPR in particular. And I think that then gets down to individual uh, situations and perhaps the feeling that uh, they weren't given opportunities or that they were stifled in their creativity and they're finding another place to exercise their their talents. And, and remind us how NPR has responded to this. Well, NPR says basically good luck. Um, you know, behind the scenes, though, I know NPR has tried very hard for a very long time to recruit uh, journalists of color, and uh, it's done reasonably well over the years. It's also uh, given many opportunities since its beginnings 50 years ago to women, uh, not necessarily women of color, but to women. Uh, some of the founding mothers of NPR were Susan Stamberg and Linda Wertheimer and Cokie Roberts. Um, and they're very proud of that, and they should be, because many news organizations uh, did not give opportunities to women. Uh, in the last 20 years, they've made a push to really expand the number of um, people of color, women of color, who they put on the air. Mm-hmm. Michelle Norris, who's now at The Washington Post as a columnist, uh, was the first host of All Things Considered back in 2002, the first uh, woman of color to be a host on All Things Considered. So, you know, from there, you the, the, the field has expanded somewhat. But now the pendulum is sw- swinging back. They're losing some of their most high-profile uh, women and uh, women of color. And it's a serious problem. So you, you've mentioned the exodus is, is about uh, a growing audio industry, but... Is it also about the experiences that journalists of color have had at NPR? Yes, I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, since I wrote that story, uh, heard many, you know, off the record comments uh, from people saying, uh, you got to know what my experience has been like over here. Um, I feel diminished in many cases. I feel stifled in many cases. Uh, I feel like there is a power structure that diminishes my efforts to expand what uh, we do here. And um, I feel boxed in. And I think that is uh, uh, one of the threads that uh, we are seeing now in the departure of some of these high profile people. Speaking of threads, Audie Cornish, uh, all things considered, she took to Twitter yesterday and uh tweeted quite the thread. Uh, her last day is today with the with the station, but she clarified that uh, she's leaving on her own terms and without resentment. Uh, but she did point out um, issues of, quote, pay equity, cultural exclusion, problems of recruitment and retention. And she also said that hiring managers and executives, they've got far more work to do. Does she have a point, Paul? Yes, she has a point. Um, you know, she's saying this isn't my situation. I was the host, the co-host of the highest profile show on the air for several years. Um, 
but I recognize that within the ranks, these problems exist. And, you know, in, in Adi's case, it might just be a, a reflection of burnout. It's a very difficult job, as you know, uh, to be a day in and day out host. Yes. Uh, but, you know, behind the scenes, there are lots of people who make the Audi Cornishes of the world look good and do a lot of the preparation and production that, uh, that goes into a show like All Things Considered mm -hmm. a Great Show. And, you know, you don't see the day in and day out uh, dynamics of working under those conditions. And, and, uh, and a lot of those people left as well. That's right. That's right. Again, we're, we were only talking about the people whose voices you've heard on the air, not yeah. the people behind the scenes. So in other words, they work under conditions of great tension anyway. Uh, when you lay over it, the, the, the racial dynamics, um, is sometimes it just becomes untenable. In NPR's uh, response, they talked about the, um, competitiveness uh, uh, of the other organizations. How much does that factor in? When you say competitiveness of other organizations, you're talking about the marketplace now. I'm talking about the marketplace. I'm talking about the money, too. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't really know about the money, but I do know that there are many other opportunities. Netflix has an audio division, Audible, Apple, The New York Times, The Washington Post. We're all competing for uh, people who have production skills, who have uh, vocal talents, who are good journalists uh, to, to develop audio programming. You know, this is the direction, podcasting is the direction uh, of the audio um, journalism world. And you know, over the air broadcasting, which has been the place and the really the only place for many, many decades, is now just one among the many uh, ways in which people are going to get audio programming. And, and obviously, um, the people who produce that, the people who are good at that, yeah. have have a value in the marketplace. NPR has uh, taken pride with efforts, though, to diversify its on-air voices. Uh, Morning Edition's Noel King was just replaced by Leila Fadel. And uh, before that, A. Martinez joined that morning lineup after host David Green left back in 2020. So, But it's also yep. clear that the organization isn't doing enough to keep their major talent. Um, remind us of the issue if they do leave, Paul. How does that impact the image and the listenership of NPR? Well, think about this. Um, in daily programming, uh, you develop a relationship with your listeners. Um, they know you. They think they're friend, you're their friend. Um, they have a relationship one way or the other. When those people disappear, people begin to wonder about their relationships. And um, it's very difficult to develop um, the kinds of skills and the kinds of relationships that hosts on the air have over time. And uh, it's not just uh, a bunch of words. It's not just a bunch of facts. Um, people think they know you and um, it, then you disappear. Those relationships have to be rebuilt. So this kind of turnover uh, for television or radio or any other uh, media organization becomes very damaging uh, because uh, it, uh, it it harms the relationship with the audience. As a reporter who covers the media industry, Paul, the same one in which you work, what do you think your responsibility is in telling these stories? Well, I think they're good stories, first of all. I think, again, because people have these kinds of relationships with the media organizations that they follow and rely on. 
um, that they want to know what is happening within these organizations. Um, you know, I think writing about NPR, for instance, in public radio, at least for the Washington Post, is a great um, uh, line of you know inquiry because the people who read the Washington Post are huge listeners of public radio. And, um, you know, the, the story we're talking about today about, uh, you know, Audi leaving uh, NPR was the most read story on the Washington Post uh, the day before yesterday. And mm. so, um, you know, there's a great deal of interest in what goes on within media organizations. And, and that's what I cover. Yeah. And in her thread, uh, that Twitter thread that she posted yesterday, she said, you know, the media reporting on this issue uh, in general has been to treat each as a problem in isolation. And that's just not the case. Well, I, I don't think we treated it in isolation. We tried to cover as much of the waterfront as we could and to show the pattern of departures. And, and look, NPR knows this is a problem. They, they understand this is a problem and they've been trying to deal with it, uh, for, uh, several years now. Um, John Lansing, the president and CEO of NPR held a town hall meeting uh, last month and got a lot of uh, pushback and a lot of commentary from the staff about this. So uh, NPR knows it's a, it's a big deal and, and is trying to address it. Before I let you go, Paul, what can other industries take away from what's happening at, at companies like NPR with their employees of color? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the answer is listen. The answer is, um, you know, try to take account of what your workforce is telling you and get ahead of the problem before it becomes a problem. And, you know, good companies, not just in the media, but good companies everywhere, attempt to deal with what their employees are going through, the working conditions, and, um, you know, try to get ahead of it. And and I, I think NPR certainly is not sticking its head in the sand. It's trying in some ways to to uh, to address it. Uh, whether they will be successful, I, I don't know. Paul Fari is a media reporter for The Washington Post. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's day Friday, January 14, 2022. So I have been told this is our weekly summit, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, again, not for spectators, not for spectators. Uh, if we have non-white people, victims of racism, uh, if you have any tips, suggestions that would be beneficial for non-white people uh, to solve problems in their work area without creating new problems. So if you have any tips, you don't have to deal. What did they say? Uh, Audie Cornish, who we probably heard a lot over the years. I've been listening to NPR for a decade or so uh, here at the cows and compensatory call in. So I'm sure we've played some Audie Cornish segments over the years. You don't have to deal with pay equity. You don't have that problem. If there are other people who work at your company or wherever you happen to work at, other people who are at your level, you all have the same duties, maybe even the same job title, right? In your department, it's not that they make $80,000. You make $25,000 to come in and do the exact same thing, exact same title, exact same department. No, 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 no. He make 80000 I make 80000 Matter of fact, I even got reparations. He makes 80000 I make 81000 reparations. You don't have to deal with that. You don't have to deal with cultural inclusion. I don't really know what that means. 
So I can't really, you know, go into any detail about that. Uh, we'll just have to skip over it. But you don't even have to worry about what that means because you don't have that problem, whatever it means. You don't have anything about retention. I know what that would mean. So they train you correctly. We are investing in you. You are a valuable, appreciated asset at this company. You have to. They talk about being heard. You don't have to worry about that. They listen to you. As I just said, you are valued. You have ideas. Please share. We will carve out time on the schedule so you can come in, sit down and tell me what is on your mind. That's the type of work environment that you have. You get all of your raises. You get absolutely sparkling performance reviews every time. You just got a big fat juicy bonus at the end of the year as you always do if that's the type of work situation that you have put us on speed dial 720-716-7300 the code 564-943 pound star 61 tell us how you did it we have lots of victims of white supremacy, Gusty included. All we are accustomed to is being mistreated. What do you call it? Cultural, a lack of cultural inclusion, whatever that means. Pay equity, wage theft. That's what we're accustomed to. Not getting trained, calling us names. You heard some of the tacky comments at the beginning. Are you the first person in your family to graduate from college? Does anyone else in your household have a degree? You don't get any of those type of questions, right? Let us know if you have tips. If you do have problems, if you are being harassed and people asking you questions like that and all the rest of it, feel free. Dial in. We will do our best to offer attempted counter racist suggestions that are using logic. And again, the goal to solve problems. No new problems. Uh, the email until justice at gmail dot com. If you don't want to call in or can't or, you know, concerned about being identified, you want some anonymity. You don't need a name on it, but until justice at gmail.com. Again, not for spectators. And there's so much going on in the workplace. I don't know how we could possibly have spectators. I guess that'll be one thing. We're coming up on 13 years if we make it until February 2021. Man, there is no way like I have seen over these years, many, many victims of white supremacy racism. Can I get one more? Many, 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 many victims of white supremacy racism get super excited to talk and critique how another non-white person is responding to racism. We don't get nearly as excited to just talk about things that all of us deal with every day. Things that happen in the workplace, that is way more important. I mean, lots of people can't stand Al Sharpton, but we've talked about that a bunch, right? Just got to get in another five minutes to bash Al Sharpton or whatever other non-white person has plucked our nerves for the day. As opposed to, man, the people who really get on our nerves, the people who write our check or at least sign the direct deposit slip or whatever, or are engaging in wage theft to make sure that that check deposit is always a little less than it should be. Those are the folks who should really pluck our nerves that we should really have a lot to say about. Long live Al Sharpton. Let's see some of the things from the report. Then we get to the folks who called in and or wrote in the first report. I did not intend to play. I already had our segments. So we're going to talk about and all that uh, for today. Uh, but I went back and listened to it. and was like, hmm, 
he's talking about mental health he says a few other ideas here that are significant we'll play it just to see you know what folks have to say the first report that was from BNC uh, they interviewed Octavia Gordima black female talking about she was born in the UK British accent she has a brand new book prep push pivot the alliteration right essential career strategies for underrepresented women and I thought that was interesting because it doesn't even say black females black women women of color it says career essential career strategies for underrepresented women now I did get pause right there uh, because like wow this is not you know this is sounding like this might be on that including white women type of a thing uh, in which case I would you know kind of pause like oh okay this is not really we're not seriously trying to address the problem that black people are facing in the workplace and we're totally excluding black males I want to just pay attention because that might be a running thing we just had all that with lucky yesterday and black misandry and I've pointed this out for years as well that especially with many of the mainstream media outlets, NPR, the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, when they talk about racism in the workplace, consistently it will be to the exclusion of black males. It will be about women of color or there's just women sometimes what it'll be get dropped to they'll boot black males out entirely and pull in white women and then talk about discrimination in the workplace. I believe black males still have the highest rate of unemployment in the U.S. I'll double check that to make sure. Not that that's something to brag about. Anywho, Miss Gordima, victim of white supremacy, she comes on. And even her book, folks can check it out. Like I said, now, I would have been much more excited if the title was a little different. Maybe if I felt included as a black male, I'd have maybe felt different. Uh, but I looked at the table of contents. Some of the chapters landing the salary you deserve. Hmm, interesting how to bounce back when you lose your job let's see how to position yourself for a promotion how to navigate a career break sounds constructive right things that we talk about on a regular basis and it's not super long it's uh, like 200 pages so it looks like when you could probably read it in a week just you know probably less time than that if you uh, were really you know on it put the time in anywho in the segment, I thought it was significant. She talked about one mental health, which I thought was super important. Value your mental health very much in line with what I've been saying about safety. You have to make that a priority because nobody else, even the other victims, will not be concerned about your health and well-being in the workplace as it should be united and dependent. Make sure you value your mental health. Now, when she continued and they gave specific examples. And he said, well, what happens if someone comes up? Oh, my gosh, your hair is amazing. Can I touch your hair? Oh, my gosh. Are you the first person in your family to graduate from school? All those type of tacky remarks. She pivoted back to the question lane. Now, that's when any of those uh, are tossed at you. You can answer and then redirect and ask the same question back to them. You could totally ignore answering the question and just ask them to repeat and write that down you could just hop in the question lane that's a lot of ways you could pivot with that one like wow do you inquire of others who work here how many degrees they have in their family how many of their relatives graduated from school is that a common question that you ask of our colleagues here 
how many degrees do I need to have amongst my family members to maintain employment? Lots of questions that could be asked in that sort of situation, along with just bringing out the bin. Could you repeat that, please? You said what now? How many degrees? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We're in all the rest of them. Lots of ways you can go with that. I'm always a big advocate of staying in the question lane. Now, what really caught my uh, attention, aside from black males being excluded as usual, but she got to the end and she talked about uh, Miss Gordima. She talked about a black network because you can be isolated in the workplace and being able to have other people to talk to I don't know we'll have to hear you know you all can give your thoughts suggestions I could be in total error I thought we've had cows listeners I think Kizzy's cousin wrote in and we've had other folks who have talked to us about where they've had something like this some sort of group uh, colored group or people of color organization or you know black people unite uh, type of thing in the workplace I've never, not one time, can I think of a time where it was constructive. Now, if it's something that is not connected to the workplace at all, like if you know a couple of people that work there and you all have good rapport and you can be logical, no conflict, and you all meet away from the workplace, this is not connected there at all. But I haven't heard about that. I think the closest thing that I may be aware of is I think retired firefighter and they were labeled a gang, Opalaka 3. And he said he had known these folks for a long time. This wasn't some where they came on the job. Oh, oh, Bill. Oh, okay. I'm brother firefighter and blah, blah, blah. And they got a, that's not what it was unless my memory is bad. So, I mean, I don't really know of anything like that that is constructive. And I think I've also heard, and it doesn't surprise me what I would expect white people are going to infiltrate anything like that. If it's connected to the group, probably even if it's independent of the actual business where you work at or what have you, all they're going to do, and they'll have a million ways. It could be Alexa. If you all are going to do this, y'all meet an hour, 30 minutes, every, you know, third Thursday or whatever it is, they'll just have the recording and sit around and get minutes, you know, recording of what you all talked about in the meeting and then plan from there. Or they will have said victim go and take really good notes or record or go and sabotage or go and do all three and then come back and report to us what happened and I think we've had people who called in who said that something like that happened at the black network on their job which again that's what I would expect why would I think you're going to be meeting and talking about racism or our negro experience here and how the white people don't do right by us why would I think that white people are going to not molest this organization or at least one person or at the minimum do a lot of snooping about what you're doing here I would not encourage that I wouldn't feel comfortable if anything I would go to watch listen learn I would not go with I got my speech planned out and this is what I'm going to say and I'm going to talk about that watch listen learn that's the only reason that I'm here I don't have an agenda nothing that I'm hoping to accomplish other than the three things I just said that's about it maybe see if I can identify how white people are sabotaging this or infiltrating if folks do have an experience especially if it's constructive with some sort of and I mean in any field if it's black bartenders network black educators network black custodial workers network anything 
Black Realtors Network, and it was constructed. If it was within the organization or independent, let us know because my general sense is better be careful about something like that. Lots of sabotage. At minimum, lots of snooping. Next. They talked about uh, mental health in the workplace amidst all of the uh, turmoil and great, uh, what is it, great resignation and all the rest of it. Super important. They also talked about folks getting uh, raises that is kicking in in the uh, for 2022 for lots of folks in different jurisdictions. I noticed they said some places like good old Virginia been in the news so much. Uh, they are not doing the immediate, you know, minimum wage going to take a whole lot longer and that sort of thing. Uh, lots of excuses uh, and reasons to not pay workers, especially if it's going to be black people who will be benefiting from this uh, increase in wages. Uh, and then uh, they talked about within the so-called great resignation and people turning over and going to new jobs. They said within that report. Black people are getting lots of opportunities. They said apparently that other plantations are trying to poach black talent. They said at this moment, there are lots of discussions about racism, people talking about mental health on the job, people talking about racism on the job, and diversity, equity, all the rest of it. And I'm not going to tolerate certain things and things going to have to change around here. And if you all don't, I'm going to go someplace that will listen to this. Has that been anyone's experience? Like, really? You're a black person. And because you are a black person, victim of racism, you have a lot of opportunities. Is that anyone's sense right now that, wow, we are really looking to do some racial showcasing? Are there any niggers that we can hide or excuse me, that we can hire, not hide, that we can hire, bring out in here and showcase, put them out front, give them a vice president title or maybe we even make up a title for them, make them the diversion inclusion equity officer, you know? That type of thing. Is that happening? Does anybody get that job? If you did, let us know. Congratulations. But just let us know. That was not my sense that this was Negro hiring season. That is news to Gus T. Let's see. And even now they talk about racism. I, that's a lot of George Floyd, Jane Elliott, Tim Wise, critical race theory. And even there's a lot of pushback on that. So I'm even a little suspicious about that. But whatever. Uh the segment about uh, black journalists uh, leaving NPR specifically, as I said, Artie Cornish and some of these other folks uh, leaving. Uh, and they said that NPR has tried very hard in terms of hiring a more diverse group of journalists. Pause right there. That is a really lame line that I hear all the time with regards to labor it doesn't matter what industry, what field we're talking about. I have heard that with education. I've heard that with STEM, <laughs> like pretty much everything except cleaning toilets. Like, oh, my gosh, we have beaten the bushes metaphor. I'm just I'm about to go crazy. We would love to hire some dark people, Negroes to come in here and work, do some STEM research, black professors, black teachers, black journalists. Oh, we would just I just can't find them. I don't know where the niggers are. Do you know where we can find niggers? I've heard that lame excuse for like decades. White people can go to the moon. They can do all kinds of new research and gadgets to kill people and cure erectile dysfunction. But we cannot 
seemed to go to a college campus and find black people, competent, qualified black people and or train competent, qualified black people. Hmm. Uh, they said and then it went from we had such a hard time and we tried so hard. I know NPR is so proud of the work that we've done to hire white women. That's again, that is a major act of racism when they just get on their role of hire women. Koki Roberts is not a black female. NPR hired a, a rack of white women suspected racist Diane Ream and such. You got to hang out for decades till she was geriatric and what have you. Uh, and host radio programs that does not count for it. I don't even how that even comes up. We're having a conversation about your inability, inability to retain black journalists, all of whom were black female, by the way, since I did say something about black male exclusion. We now have diverted to talking about how many white women have worked at NPR and our proud record of hiring white women. Then they go from that tackiness. Let's talk about, oh, man. Audie Cornish is leaving. Why do you think she left? That's where I said, I don't know what cultural inclusion is. Maybe they break that down. Maybe she explained that on Twitter. Pay equity. Got that. And I even paused right there. Remember the segment that we played last week about pay equity? And they said women. That was Terry uh, Gillarducci. Remember white woman? I said uh, she said that pay equity would be solved overnight. That was the metaphor. But I think she meant literally. She said all they need to do, transparency and salary and women's problem would be solved. Now, I said last week, I don't think that would solve the problem with black females and pay equity. But whatever you say, all they got to do is have transparency. NPR has a pay equity problem. Like, really? Do they have transparency with salary? And if not, why not? Anyway, so they pay equity is a problem. Cultural inclusion is a problem, whatever that is. Retention is a problem. Apparently, hiring black males is a problem, too. They mentioned uh, Donald Green, one of the folks that they hired. He's not even a non-white person. This is just a straight up white man. I have no idea uh, how his leaving NPR, what that has to do with their inability to hire non-white talent. Did he leave in protest because they didn't have enough niggers? And if so, why did they make that public when he departed? I didn't see anything about that on the page. Just a shot of a white man. Suspected racist. Wearing all black, incidentally, but whatever. Um, the. Oh, and make sure I just tie that all together. I'm really only aware of Eric Deggins and he covers television at NPR. Which I find, I mean, that's not like what they call hard news important to just have him on to talk about like precious and blackish, that sort of thing. I think they may have a black male who does one of their code switch programs, maybe. But I mean, NPR does not, does not have people that sound like Gus T. They can brag about all the non-white females that they hired. And many of them are not even black females. And they're all the black females who have departed. Uh, and most they can brag about all the white women that they've hired that hang out on the air. But black males are you serious you can't find a black male that can hold a microphone you don't even have to do that that can talk into a microphone can read you can't train black male journalists like really hire Mumia Abu Jamal he's been on the job why not him think he worked for public radio before he was in greater confinement the excuses 
abound. Uh, incidentally, they were talking about podcasting. Say it again. Hey, Gus T podcasting for 13 years and despised by all. I do not feel at all. Wow. He's valuable and has done this for so long and he'd be a great addition. Not by anyone. White people, non-white people. Coon when we started in 2009. Extra coon. Now that it's 2022. To be expected. Same thing I've said the whole time. You like the cows, so what? Don't like the cows, so what? Neutralizing workplace racism. Get to the phone lines. The number again is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. If we got any folks, if you have any history, any experience with some sort of black organization, in a workplace setting, your colleagues, people, you're in the same building and you all get together monthly or weekly or whatever it is um, to discuss racism or constructive things related to the work environment. If that has worked, if that's been, you know, something that you appreciated, you think, you know, could be duplicated and, and produce similar quality results, please share. If my memory is correct and white people did infiltrate and sabotage and all the rest, you can share that as well. Also, with the COVID-19 mandates, that Supreme Court decision came down a couple days ago where they said, Aunt Joe Biden, President Biden, you do not have the authority to mandate these uh, vaccines in the workplace, uh, except for healthcare workers, because there's federal money with that. But for the rest of it, Aunt, you do not have that authority. I said, like, ooh, all that white defiance is going to escalate now. You have a whole lot of white people like, eh, see there, I told you, you're not the boss of me. I'm not doing none of that. I'm not washing my hands. I'm not wearing a mask. Nothing. That looks like it could be beginning. Uh, I've seen reports where there are several major employers who already just within the, I mean, literally hours <laughs> from the decision. It's been like two days where they already started to rescind. Uh, their vaccination policies uh, and what have you and have started to strip them down. So that's something as well. Uh, if you've seen either just individual behavior changes or if they have changed policy and procedure again since the decision, let us know how folks are responding to uh, COVID-19 protocols in your workplace uh, in the, I guess, the first early stages of the new year. Uh, let's see. We'll hit the switchboard see if folks have thoughts observations to share first few folks with a hand up should be with us may i be heard uh yes sir caller 4797 uh, thank you good evening to gus the host and all the participants of the cows radio program um i wanted to report on my position as a uh I guess, a uh, courier for medical uh, COVID tests. Uh, One of the experiences that I've had was delivering to some of the schools, which are in, uh, many of them are in uh, Westchester County in New York State. Uh, These areas are very, uh, mostly white people, and the schools are almost exclusively uh, white children. And one of the experiences that I had with delivering the COVID test is with the security uh, is, and the security officer who, this happened a few weeks ago, um, when I was coming up to the desk to enter to deliver the COVID test to the different departments in the school, I guess he was training someone. So uh, he began by the procedure of, you know, letting them know that 
I was with XYZ company. Uh, and he said something that was very interesting. He said, oh, yeah. And, you know, and here's his mugshot because I had been in the system uh, from uh, previous interactions. And the person said, oh, and yes, here's his mugshot. I thought that was very interesting. I would have let that uh, go uh, relatively unnoticed. But then when he handed me the sticker that gave me access to uh, walk around the school to distribute the test kits, he threw the sticker at me in which it fell on the ground. And I had a decision to make and whether or not to pick up the sticker or to uh, behave in a way that was uh, um, probably not uh, conducive to me doing my job. I picked up the sticker and went about uh, my job. But uh, after I had finished, I had to figure out what I was going to do because I don't want that to continue to happen. So when I uh, came back to give him the sticker uh, to return it so that he could check me out of their system, I handed it to him and looked him in the eye and told him, here's your sticker. I didn't uh, become belligerent, although that felt like it was something that I uh, would have been justified in doing because I think that was quite insulting. Uh, and the week subsequent to that, I have not had that issue. This person has handed me the uh, sticker that gave me access to the uh, environment uh, without incident. But uh, last week, or this week, excuse me, he asked me an interesting question, but I thought it was kind of weird, that he asked me, do they pay you enough to do this job? To which I uh, responded, well, no, they don't pay me enough. If, uh, I could certainly get paid more. And he then inquired further, well, what do they pay you? I said, well, they pay me uh, decently, but I could definitely want more. If you need to contact someone to let them know that they should pay me more, feel free. I gave him my information. You have my information. You can feel free to contact whoever you need to to let them know that I need to be paid more. Uh, I just thought that was, you know, quite interesting and uh, kind of intrusive. Uh, another incident where someone called me a name that was not my name or even identified me as uh, sir or identified me as with the company that they, um, uh, that, that uh, corresponds with the courier position. Uh, someone called me um, the angel of death uh, because I was coming to pick up the COVID test kits. And I just thought that that was very weird and, uh, and not, not um, in any way uh, appropriate to respond to someone that you see very rarely, once, twice a week, and I don't have very much interaction with them. Uh, another incident where someone called me a name that's not my name is a, uh, and this was a white person, the first two people who those incidents were related to were white people. Uh, and the third incident was with a woman who uh, looks like she originates from uh, India or the, the subcontinent of or the place with, that is called India, where uh, I, upon me, my arrival, she said, oh, here's the troublemaker. And I said, no, I'm not making any trouble at all. And I just responded in a sort of a demure uh, fashion so that I'm not uh, seen as offensive or unfriendly. Um, 
But it was interesting because she had called another employee, a coworker of hers, a troublemaker. And I guess that's a joking way of, uh, of communicating with someone. Um, but it was also interesting that uh, in front of, in my presence, that same female, um, because someone had put a COVID test in later than uh, was the cutoff, she called this woman a um, a name that you would associate with a female dog multiple times in front of me um, because she had done this. And the custodian that she called also a troublemaker, um, he relayed to me that he had told her several times that he wanted to be put on the list for a COVID test so that he would be issued a COVID test, but she never did that, even though he had uh, relayed that inf information to her multiple times. Um, there's one other thing that I wanted to um, talk about. Oh, yes. Uh, on the front of my becoming an employee <clears throat> for this company, I have uh, updated my resume and submitted my resume, but no further inquiries or no further um, contact has been made to me in terms of becoming an, a full-time employee. But I thought that that was just an interesting experiment for uh, them having uh, relayed that information to me multiple times and me following up, um, them not really um, uh, following, uh, responding back to me in, that, in, in, a, in a way that made me know that they were more serious about it. Uh, I thought that was a, an interesting experiment. I am uh, not, I'm certainly not bothered by it because I certainly feel like it's, uh, I'm in a more appropriate position by being a, uh, a contracted uh, employee, uh, so that I'm not bothered by their uh, inaction at all. Um, and uh, that would be all. Oh, incidentally, I uh, I don't despise anyone on this uh, program uh, that is on the line, any of the participants, because I don't know anyone uh, on the line uh, to despise them. Uh, and that includes the host. I do not despise anyone on the any one of the participants of this program. Uh, incidentally, I would like the host to uh, let me know how uh, I could contribute uh, financially to the program through uh, uh, Venmo. Uh, and that's all I wanted to share. Thank you. Much obliged. Much obliged. One person in the not despising anyone on the cows uh let's see try to make sure that was lots let's see if i can make sure i don't forget uh okay so we go all the way back to the beginning the situation is it angel of death got confused momentarily the angel of death Woo! they come with the nicknames all right so we go back before we got to that he said he went in delivering it he this is an essential worker right He's delivering COVID-19 tests, right? This is, a, this is one of the people that they've been going out on the roof. Remember that? When all this started two years ago, they would go out on the rooftop with skillets and all the rest. And, whoa, we love you, brother. Oh, you're working so hard. Whoa. This is him, right? One of them, right? Okay. So we're supposed to be respect. We appreciate your hard work, brother. You're going out there and putting in all that time and you're getting a COVID-19 test. Like, wow, this is so important. No, 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 no. He goes in, starts from the very beginning before we even get to Angel of Death. It's look here, he, and he said he's training, training about the job, 
probably correctly, and then training about racism, white supremacy. Negro comes in to deliver packages. Oh, good to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you. Didn't say, hey, guy's always here. Friendly, comes to do deliveries. This is the procedure. You check them in, get the sticker, boom, boom, boom. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is him. Negro comes all the time. This is his mugshot. Mugshot. Now, maybe he says that about everybody who comes through to make deliveries. That could be the case. I've heard that sort of language before where it's criminalizing the black person. Mugshot might even say that might be similar to calling somebody, I don't know, troublemaker, maybe. That sort of the black person is, uh oh, here we go. Uh, there's a reason I work not even to say negative because it's in the word guide. Why does Mr. Fuller say even avoid the word negative? Negroes, always something to avoid, always something bad with the Negro. Negative and negation. Like, uh, the nigger, uh, the troublemaker is coming around. Uh, look at his mugshot. Some criminal, probably a rapist. Uh. Unless I'm mistaken, that's who has a mugshot as criminals, right? Rapists, looters, Anthony Broadwater. So we go from that. Here's his mugshot. Okay, I'm doing my training. Mugshot. Okay, okay. All right, so you give him the sticker. Then just hand it, even with the COVID, right? I'm touchy about that. I don't like being close to people right now and everything. He could have just placed it down. I'm sure it was a desk or table. If you got to go through all that and sign in and go into school, he could have just placed it right there. Boom. Here's your sticker, sir. Much obliged. Nah, nah, nah. Slings it. What is that? My view, and that great. I'm, this is not a critique at all. You just coming back and here's your sticker and handing it to him. And you said apparently that did solve the problem because he behaved correctly uh, the rest of the way. That's the sort of thing I would report. Like you can do perfect. Exactly what you did. I would report to his supervisor and let them know I came in on such and such a date. Mugshot. This is his identification. This is his photo. I'm not a criminal. Does he refer to everyone as having a mugshot and then you can and I would even explain it this way maybe I wouldn't have said anything about that but then when he throws the sticker on the ground totally unprofessional and I would tell them the exact same thing hey COVID-19 I understand you can place it on the table softly you don't need to throw anything at anyone where is the professionalism question that's the sort of thing I would log and report to a supervisor um, and then if this is the same fella, racist suspect, we come back next time around. It's, Hmm, they pay you enough for this job. All of these questions, in my view, that's just racist man, because it's not transparency and salary. Are you getting this information so you can help me get a raise? That might even be the response. Are you asking me, are you going to advocate for me to get a raise? Man, I sure appreciate it. Who my supervisor is such, 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 such. Are you going to go call him? Because if you're not, if you're just asking this information to be nosy, let me find out how much this nigger makes. I said consistently, white people can't be ignorant about racism, white supremacy. They study their niggers, Gus T, all the rest of us. That's what that sounds like to me. I'm just, I'm just trying to get information about my niggers here. Get you a raise, I'm trying to get you a raise. I might get you fired. I find out you're making too much money. Uh, he says, well, Let's see. You don't make enough money. How much? How much do you make? He said, hmm, I didn't feel 
comfortable. Let me let me if I can ask you a question, sir. Uh, if you had that situation to do over again, would you respond the same way or would you have a different response? If it was different, how would you respond? Well, it did catch me off guard. Uh, I didn't expect there to be any interaction with this person. Um, I would. Uh, that's, that's something I have to think about. I, the, the first inclination I ha- would have is to say that I don't like to discuss my uh, my salary or my finances with people that I don't know. But I don't know if that's going to be something that causes uh, more problems or could potentially uh, interfere with me doing my job. So I, that's something I'd have to think about more. Love it. Love it. The, and these are the type of things I didn't think about this before. I'd have been in the same position because I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't thinking about this in terms of, oh, man, you go on these jobs and racists, they love doing this. Ask little questions and things. Get all in your personal business and stuff. Sometimes you have to kind of do that, kind of think like, what, where am I placing the boundary line at in terms of what things do I want to share? Do I want to tell them about my, you know, if I'm married, if I have children, all the rest of it? Do I want to tell them my salary, where I went to school? Just think, do you want to share these things? If not, I think especially with salary, because so many people are touchy about that. I totally think you could you could say with no problem and I think with no reservation, I don't discuss salary publicly. You don't have to have an attitude or anything like that. Just, yeah, I just, I just don't publicly discuss salary. You don't really know him. You all aren't cool. I don't, I think for the most part, it would be difficult to start some sort of problem with that. Given white people lie, create problems for no reason all the time. But I mean, if that's the case, he wouldn't even, he could just do that without even asking that question. But I don't, I don't see where that would cause a problem because that's such a common response. That's why we got all this with got to have transparency laws and all that. Cause so many people are very, very secretive uh, about their salary. So yeah, I think that's a easy one. Anyone can get away with. I don't discuss salary publicly. Uh, but I mean, Hey, might even be a better response. You can think on it. If anybody out listening, uh, if you got an even better response for that question, let us know. Uh, let's see. Raise. Uh, and then all the name stuff that angel of death. Like, come on, man. I got a mug shot. I'm a troublemaker. Angel of death. <laughs> I had to even I had to stop and look like, oh, man, that's really in the Bible. <laughs> angel of death. Like, oh, Lord. Um. I'm of the opinion, like all of that talk about unprofessional, like Jesus Christ. I mean, first time, angel of death. Excuse me. Are you talking to me? Why are you calling me the angel of death? That would be another one I'd have to write down to. <laughs> like, whoa, you get my, what did you call me? Angel of death. Okay. And why are you calling me the angel of death? Because that's not a nickname. I could see how, you know, maybe if you call everybody a troublemaker. I think the late Howard Cosell, way back when suspected racist, said he called everybody a monkey. Maybe I don't hear everybody the angel of death. That sounds like a UFC nickname or something. You about to go in the ring and, you know, choke somebody out or something. Like, I don't I don't even know how to respond to that one other than 
what? Why are you calling me the angel of death? Are you talking to me? And why are you calling me that? And then to write both those down, I'd, I would appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if that's a biblical thing or what, but I would appreciate it if you would just call me by my name every time. Not the angel of death, not any other nicknames. Gus will be fine. Thank you. Same thing for troublemaker. Why are you calling me a troublemaker? Are you calling me a troublemaker? Okay, and then why are you calling me a troublemaker? And then once we get that, same thing. Please just call me by my name every time. Don't add anything to it. I don't have any other nicknames. I call you by your name every time. And everybody else who works here, I would appreciate the same in return. Thank you kindly. And they don't have any, like, just a neutral. It can't just be, you know, hey, B. I don't know what your name is. We'll just say, you know, Bob, if your name was Bob. Hey, B, how you doing? It can't just be, oh, okay, this is going to be initial. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got to be the angel of death. Ugh, and the troublemaker. <laughs> like, the, and that's what they call you to your face. Like, I can't even imagine once you leave, like, oh, that troublemaking nigger and coon. Oh, no, no. Anywho, uh, and then I forgot, then the other, he said they had uh, another black person. He was trying to get a COVID test and she wouldn't do it. Like, that's life and death. Like, what in the world? They said, we've been in a pandemic for two years. I'm trying to make sure that I'm safe, trying to make sure other people that I'm around are safe. And, yeah, yeah other person he said they handed in the uh they handed in the test late now she's the b word where's the professionalism that's the way we're supposed to be talking about clients other people who are just trying to get a test in like geez that's something i would pay attention to anyway in a work environment like you can get frustrated by all kinds of things but sometimes when people get reckless unprofessional and the way that they talk about like clients and what have you Woo, the same disrespect, discourtesy will extend to coworkers. I've seen that every time. Professionalism in the workplace, big advocate of that. That's something I'd report to, by the way, calling clients uh, the B word and all the rest. Like, that's how we're supposed to behave here? That's modeling professionalism? Question, question. Uh, let's see. Venmo is on my blog, racism hyphen notes dot blogspot.com if you look in the top right corner the paypal button is right there and so then just look directly beneath that should be three links one of them's for paypal one's for cash app and the others for uh venmo should be right there should take you right to the page uh if it doesn't work or is wacky drop an email or let me know but it should be right there the blog again racism hyphen notes dot blogspot.com top right corner links for paypal venmo cash app much obliged uh for all of the investors who have kept us on the air if we get to february 21 13 years baker's dozen uh let's see do we have any folks thoughts how would you respond what do you think is is the best way to respond to that sort of question you get some suspected racist in a work environment who comes and they hey man how much uh do you make but uh, you make enough money. How much how much do you make? How would you all respond to that question? Anybody anybody think that you would get in trouble? Does anybody think it would cause more problems if you in response to that question? That I, don't, I don't discuss uh, salary publicly. And or does anybody have a better response? Something that you think, oh, yeah, 
this is how you answer that question no problems will be started and bam you won't have any other problems with this person any folks have any thoughts on on how they would respond there greetings uh retired firefighter in florida opalaka three gang member uh i'll first uh try to answer uh the last question uh, uh i think i think uh the statement of you don't discuss uh your uh salary it, it would be suffice enough uh that basically tells the person uh that any other comment that goes beyond that, it would have to uh, be uh, gained the attention of uh, the uh, administration of our employment. Uh, you know, even to the point of harassment <laughs> to be asking that question. Uh, so you you state it right right from the outset of being ask such an unappropriate question um, unless unless that i mean because for the most part the, the right people uh know how much you make the people who are uh rightfully uh in the position of uh that type of authority already know how much you make anybody else asking is is for the most part is none of their business uh I also heard uh, uh, something uh, along the lines of uh, this uh, name calling uh, highly uh, tacky and trashy. I think it, I think it, it moved to trashy uh, when it when it came to that more so than tacky is is in a, the trashy department uh, and knocking on the door of ter- of terrorism terrorism uh that would have to be also uh dealt with uh your example was uh was a pretty good uh response uh by putting in terms of a question uh you're being firm but at the same time you're being courteous at the same time uh it's actually is a nonviolent means of mistreatment to state such a thing uh especially if the person has not attempted to dwell into uh socialization on the job to the point to where as a person could be can feel that they are comfortable in calling you such names. Uh, now, now, if, a, if there, and there, there have been some non-white people that I've actually witnessed them actually get that level of comfortability with their fellow coworkers. And some of them are white people to whereas they would be calling them names because they've been actively involved into, uh, 
that sort of uh, behavior. Uh, and a job like I was on is probably one of the within the top the top uh, jobs that that actually promotes that kind of foolishness. Uh, but uh, I never had any problem with it because I, I've cut that off, you know, from the beginnings of me being out in the field, as they call it on a job, maybe out of training and into the field. I never participated in, in that. And primarily I was uh, left alone when it came to that. I wasn't looking for uh, anybody, actually white or non-white, to befriend and needed to befriend with. Uh, although I did develop some pretty uh, life-term relationships with, with a few people that I can count on one hand that was on that job. And you uh, kind of like uh, in a joking fashion mentioned about mentioned three of them. Uh, that particular incident, by the way, uh, was just those three individuals uh, on duty. Two of them were on duty uh, directly, and uh, the third was there for overtime. And uh, they were doing something that's routine on the fire department as well as, uh, uh, yeah, routine, you know, uh, and especially something of that nature that took place uh, on, uh, what was that? Uh, September 11th, 19, I forgot what year, uh, um, uh, people were talking about it, you know, from that standpoint, and they were talking about it from a fire department standpoint, as far as the fire in, in itself. And, uh, as one should not be surprised about white people, on the fire department, they, they, uh, a few of them got on phones and called long distance up to New York and said some black Muslims, which neither one of them were, <laughs> uh, uh, that's actually the white term in itself, uh, uh, that is tagged onto the nation of Islam. But, uh, they, uh, told this lie that they were talking about uh, they were talking about uh, uh, that they weren't going to ride on a truck. They weren't going to ride on a truck uh, uh, if the American flag was on it. You know, they spread in some other lies that they spread it and they acquired death threats. They acquired death threats and also there was an unsafe environment to whereas they were asked to go home for weeks with pay. But uh, anyway, uh, the, the, the earlier thing that I think you mentioned, uh, you, you brought up some memories uh, and also it's something I think is still present uh, on a lot of jobs, whereas they have, organizations, black people, black employees of that job, they have an organization, for instance, a uh, former guest on your program, Charles Phillips, 
started an organization. Uh, actually, what it was, it, it was a, you might as well call it the Black Firefighters, <laughs> but he named it uh, uh, the Progressive Firefighters Association. And uh, they did not want to come in any type of opposition with the local union, firefighters union, uh, which is a powerful organization. Whereas uh, a lot of them are members of it also. But uh, from the standpoint of, I know the motivation was racism and white supremacy of him forming the Progressive Firefighters Association. I know that was the motivation behind it. Uh, and, uh, basically they would talk about, they would talk about, uh, something called, it was a popular term called, uh, uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue and forgot about it. Uh, the process of, of moving up in rank, upward mobility, <laughs> upward mobility. That was, that was a popular term, I guess, in the, in the eighties. Uh, he formed the organization in the late seventies, uh, just before I got on the job. But uh, uh, getting promo- getting promoted, also uh, for uh, to to be a representative of com- of maybe complaining to the uh, administration about uh, uh, problems uh, that's on the job between. Uh, uh, black people and the uh the employ the employers themselves uh that sort of thing uh he started that organization uh myself and a few other guys uh who were organized when we were off duty uh we attempted to being we were members of this progressive firefighter association attempted to uh kind of like give more direct attention to the problems that black people have on the job. And, uh, uh, some of the, some of the, uh, administrators didn't want to, uh, participate in that. I'm talking about the progressive firefighters association. They didn't want to participate in that. Uh, there had been too much, uh, we wanted to involve, we wanted to involve black people in the, in the areas where the fire service, uh, basically, uh, uh, response to that's what we wanted to uh, add into it, and they, they, I guess they didn't want the uh, consequences that comes from such a thing at the time. But uh, yeah, uh, and like I said before, that they, they're, they're, I, I'm pretty sure on a lot of jobs there is such organization like black nurses. There's definitely is is. Uh, organizations with law enforcement, uh, with black law enforcement officers that have such organizations. Uh, there's one within about 10 miles away from where I'm sitting at, uh, for a police department in Miami Dade County, uh, that has that, uh, in Chicago, this is a historical thing and I'll shut up, uh, uh, Chicago, uh, when Fred Hampton was murdered, uh, there was such an organization of black law enforcement officers of the city of Chicago who assisted the private investigation 
of his murder. And you can look on uh, Eyes on the Prize, and one was speaking publicly. One of the representatives was speaking publicly on uh, his murder. Uh, and uh, so uh, there, there is such a thing uh, where there is organizations like that. They, they don't come out in the open and say that we're, we're organizing against racism and white supremacy, but uh, basically that's what the motivation for them organize, uh, creating these organizations are for. That's it. Thank you. Much obliged. Retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, they do have a lot uh, of those organizations, the black police officers and like I'm saying, black nurses, black engineers, like it's tons of them. Um, I would think they might be more effective the more independent they are. But if it's something like within the organization that they're putting this on and they might even have a budget, you know, sometimes for these groups that happen sometimes like we like the closer it is to the work environment and the white people there, I think the less effective it will be. That would just be my gander. Uh, and either way, if it exists like, oh, man, expect massive opposite. I suspect that's why. The Opalaka three, they were trying to sneak it into the agenda to be more direct about racism because there's so much opposition uh, when you get these sort of groups together. Um, white people are not ignorant about racism, white supremacy. They are not going to sit idly by and watch their little niggers uh, organize in the work environment. Um, so anyway, uh, he also retired firefighter. He gave some input on the that question somebody comes up and asks you about you know raise and all that i'm uh, saying that she thinks you could probably just say that you know i'm gonna discuss salary in the workplace and that would probably be the end of it probably not going to be any uh increase uh in problems as well as all that uh name calling that's a big one i'm a big advocate on stopping the name calling uh as he said cut it at the knees the great super bowl champion walter beach the third that's exactly what he said when he came in the program cut that at the knees uh, because that sort of thing they get rolling like they start off like today it'll be you know the troublemaker angel of death all around and it just escalates from there that's when you go from there and you end up having somebody urinating in your chair remember that one you had several man we had several folks who talked about urine they end up urinating in your workspace and all these other guys oh man we just you know play around a little bit I thought you joked and everything troublemaker you know that's just how we mm-hmm mm-hmm cut all of that at the knees i'm not a prankster we're not here for tomfoolery let's be professional safe in the workplace certainly let's not promote activity that's going to criminalize black people anybody really troublemaker angel of death uh let's see much obliged uh was retired firefighter in florida uh, give out the number again, 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, so again, other folks, if we've not heard from you, feel free. If we have folks, if you have thoughts, how the... 
uh, vaccine mandate, uh, how folks are behaving around that and what have you, or even if they change the policy again with the Supreme Court decision, let us know if we have thoughts on what do you think? Quality, constructive response. You get some race soldier who at, hey, how much money do you make, troublemaker? What's your salary? What do you think is the best response? And if you just give them, the, you know, I don't discuss salary in public. Do you think that might cause you some other problems? If you have uh, thoughts uh, and or your own situation, proceed. And I'll Hi, be heard. Oh, sorry. Uh, heard both of you. Uh, let's go. We'll uh, heard Nick of the road as well. Let's get our female caller first and then we'll nab Nick on the road. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks again for uh, taking my call. And I have been uh, listening to the program. Um, I have had a situation come up, and I agree with retired firefighter. Um, you know, whenever you get that question about your salary, the best way to respond is, you know, usually just to, you know, let them know that you don't, you know, discuss, you know, your salary or other personal information. Um, I have had instances in my situation where the uh, white supremacist, you know, if they can't find out your salary information, they'll, you know, try to, they're, they're, it seems like they're always trying to, I guess, I don't want to know, I don't want to say compare, but kind of see what black people or what we are doing. So I have had them to try to figure out, you know, yo, you know, I'm looking for an apartment, you know, uh, do you live in town? Uh, around how much do you pay in rent? Or, you know, they, it seems like they always um, try to pry to kind of learn uh, financial information, you know, about you. But I found whenever you typically, you know, give the response that you don't discuss that, you say it in a polite, you know, way, that pretty much will, uh, they, they usually stop. Um, I actually had an instant whenever I started a job and uh, I was really young um, when this instant happened, but uh, uh, my supervisor was a uh, white, uh, well, suspected white supremacist female, and, you know, I'm fairly new in the job, and she says, oh, hey, you know, um, know, my church has this, uh, I think it was Habitat for Humanity, where I guess they build um, uh, underprivileged people, you know, like a house, or you have to, you know, commit to a certain amount of hours, and you know, you get like a, a house, I guess, with either a very low mortgage or no mortgage. I'm not sure how the program works, but long story short, she was like, hey, you know, we have this at my church, and, you know, all you need to do is just apply for this. And, you know, I just looked at the application, and I, I wasn't going to do it. But, you know, she she basically wanted me to, you know, send, you know, any information about not only your wages, but any assets you own, bank accounts. And I just thought to myself, you know, it, you know, at that time, I, you know, was um, like most victims and very, you know, unaware. But, you know, now that I think about it, you know, as you said, they kind of treat all of us kind of like, you're, you know, you're a charity case, you know, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, foods or, you know, anything that's left over, you know, like, you know, they're always trying to, you know, give, you know, give away something or you know, make it feel like, okay, we've done something good for, you know, this black person. And so whenever she sent me that, I just, you know, not now that I think about it, I was like, okay, she was trying to kind of get information, you know, about, you know, my finances. And then again, also, you know, pretty much 
classifying me as, you know, you know, underprivileged or, you know, whatever name you want to have for it. But, you know, as I said before, um, initially if the uh, caller, you know, just kind of nips it in the bud, you know, I think that's a very invasive question for one to ask anyway. But um, usually a polite response um, will usually, you know, they'll typically get the hint and you won't get any subsequent questions. Um, and, you know, that's the advice that I would give to him, and I'll uh, mute my line. Thank you. Much obliged. Um, wow, like, how much do you pay for rent? Like, what in the world? <laughs> I went from, so are you asking so that you can advocate for me to get a raise? To the first question, to... Wow, are you looking for an apartment? Are you trying to chip in on my rent? Like, what in the world? <laughs> like, uh, white people are not ignorant about their niggers. Uh, I cannot stress that enough uh, in the work environment. Like, wow, they are paying attention to and studying their niggers. Uh, and then the paternalism of that to come in with, oh, yes, we got an application. Habitat for Humanity. All you have to do is fill it out. Make sure you include your assets if you have any bank accounts or stock options or anything like that, which your wages are. Fill it all out in detail. Don't skip any of the lines. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see if we can get that back to the church. And I think we can help you out. Like, what? It, did I put up a sign saying that I was homeless and in need of shelter? Uh, did I ask you about any details for Habitat Humanity? Like, the paternalistic racism, uh, just assuming that these are some squatting houseless niggers. Uh, and then that's the veneer of it, right? I'm just here to help, right? You seem like you're probably, you know, some no count hobo. Uh, but I'm really digging. <laughs> like, I really just want to find that. Like, this would, if you did want to pursue this, this seems like the type of thing where it'd be like, I'm just going to get the information and not even turn in the application because I just really wanted to see how much you pay for rent and what other assets, do you have a vehicle that sort of thing which is real typical we've had so many victims who have called in and reported similar like, man, these folks are snooping into everything, like where your parents live and where they go to school and how much money do you have in the bank, where are you going for vacation what did you do for your holiday, like man Studying the Negra. Uh, let's see. So we had two folks. Also, I, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to also kind of, you know, add with that supervisor, another thing that, you know, she did, I guess she was trying to bond with the, you know, I was pretty much the only black person in the office. And this is just an example of tacky behavior. And they were like, oh, you know, um, we're going to go watch, uh, I think it, at the time it was Medea's Halloween well, why don't you come along and watch this? I just was like, tacky. <laughs> vomit. I could absolutely vomit. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, we will go watch a black male dress up as a female. I mentioned black misandry at the beginning. <laughs> yes, we will. We'll go watch Tyler Perry make fun of black grandmothers. That'll be hilarious. That'll be a workplace bonding activity. Maybe that's cultural inclusion. Maybe that's what that means. We all go watch Tyler Perry uh, movies together. Woo. Man, oh man. <laughs> that is definitely one to pass on.
And even I would just have to make note of that. Like, oh, wow, the white people, I'm the only black person on my job. They're doing a workplace bonding activity. Going to see Medea's Halloween. All righty. Context of white supremacy. And they invite the black person for this one movie. Let's go see Medea. You love Tyler Perry, don't you? Mm. Uh, Nick over the road. Much obliged for your patience, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Greetings, Gus. Greetings, everyone. Um, situation that I had um, when I was working in EMS, one of the certificates or license that we get is uh, phlebotomy, and that's um, basically drawing blood from patients. And as a side gig, I went to work um, at a lab as a paramedical examination. This is where we go out and we do medical assessments on people for like life insurance companies. And um, as I'm working one of these um, side gigs, it was part-time, um, the main office that hired me, they knew about my EMS background and experience and whatnot. However, the little office that I worked out of, which is one of their branches, um, that supervisor didn't know about my uh, my experience or whatnot. And me not knowing not to discuss my income, um, a young lady that worked there uh, with me, we kind of talked outside of the job, and I mentioned to her how much I got paid, but I didn't tell her I was part-time or that I did EMS work. So she thought I was full-time making a certain amount of money. Immediately the next day, she went and asked the supervisor why I was getting paid so much, and she wasn't. Um, I guess after that conversation, um, I was called into the office by um, said supervisor, and supervisor was like, hey, um, you told this person that you make this amount of money, and I had to explain it, and it was because you was part-time, you wasn't getting benefits or insurance, and, and you know, health insurance, and, and that uh, and all of that type of stuff. And, you know, I was just like, wow, that's, that's interesting. So I kind of take it upon myself, especially now, to just simply respond to the question of how much do you make. Um, unfortunately, it's against my company policy to discuss uh, my compensation package or my personal finances with anyone connected to the job, including friends and family. Um, and I simply uh, maybe add them a card or write down the website, like, here, this is my official job title. You can go to this website and see if this is something that you want. End of discussion. Um, that's uh, basically all I wanted to say about that. And I also wanted to say to retired firefighter, um, thank you very much for taking care of our babies with us. Um, I'm going to mute my phone. Much obliged, Nick over the road. Wow, she went back and groused and griped. I can't believe this Negro is making this much money, and this is an outrage. <laughs> Good Lord. Like, uh, yeah, that, and particularly because it's hot. Now, I can't imagine if you had told her a low figure, I can't imagine her getting upset. This is a disgrace. It is 2021 and you'd be paying someone that little bit of money and I'm leaving two of you. I can't imagine that happening. 
He tells her what he makes and she flips out. What? I can't be- I'm going to have a conversation with him right now. I do not. He formulated the oh, whole. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say, and right after that, she stopped calling me. So we never talked outside of work after that. So that was like her whole goal was to see how much I got paid. Wow. Mm, mm, mm. That there. And this is a non-white black woman. Oh, mm, mm, mm. Hey, that's, we have all been greatly brain trashed system of racism white supremacy I, that's why I said with most of this it would apply all the way around I would not be discussing salary with other victims of racism Mr. Reed Black Talk Radio Network founder he said I forgot all about that I think it was the beginning of last year if you go back to neutralizing workplace racism it's one of the January 2021 programs uh, if, it, if, I, if, it, if I had a free like half a day I bet I could find it quick he called in he said his daughter working down in North Carolina Cam Newton and it was a black person came up you know hey how much do you make and I, I think she just told him it wasn't a you know brag whatever she's a supervisor told her how much he makes this dude went back told everybody working there calls all the can you believe they are paying her and I am outraged she had a white supervisor Mr. Reed said the white supervisor in fact they did so much grousing and complaining the white supervisor called his daughter in and said man do you know these folks are running around here grousing and complaining and trying to get you in trouble because of how much you make Woo. you cannot believe you can't even trust them I think he said they, that the white supervisor told her you don't have any friends here these are not your friends can't be trusting them with your salary and information like that and I told Mr. Reed even though I totally agree. That's the same thing that I say. You're not going in. Retired firefighter said the same thing today. These are not your homies. These are not your friends. You do not go on a job like, oh, I've just got a brand new family. This is always what. No, (laughs) sorry. That's not what this is at all. Even if it's all people that are black. These are not your brothers and sisters. These are just your coworkers. They probably don't even like you. White or non-white. This is not a place you want to go around, be bragging about how much money you make, what your salary is, what kind of car you have, how many bedrooms your house has, where you went for vacation. None of that, even if it's other victims of racism. I can't think of one example. I could think of quite a few. You all just jogging my memory, going back through different folks that have called in and talk about this, but I can't think of anybody where they, you know, were talking about their salary in the workplace and they got a raise, a promotion. None of that. It was either to ridicule, to spy and snoop or to become outraged, disgusted, and then move to sabotage. I'm disgusted that this nigger is making this much. That's what I've seen. Those are predictable responses, it seems, from revelation of salary in the workplace. It is never, wow, I'm so glad you're making that well compensated where we should get you a raise. I'm going to get on that. Nope, nope, and nope. That there is the system we have, folks. Uh, So, again, neutralizing workplace racism. Uh, Much obliged, Nick over the road. She said, once she found out, what he makes, I don't even want to talk to this nigger anymore. I'm disgusted. 
like, dang, <laughs> like what in the world? <laughs> I thought we was black, black sister, black, black brother. But no. Mm. We have been greatly brain trashed. United independent, especially in the workplace. United independent. Uh, much obliged, Nick. Over the road. Uh, other folks who dialed in, uh, observations, thoughts, uh, suggestions. Again, the COVID nineteen. If folks are changing how they behave because of the uh, Supreme Court decision. Uh, thoughts on the salary revelation or if you have your own situation that you want to discuss always looking for tips if people have some strategies that work well uh, other folks that we've not heard from proceed can I can I be heard yes ma'am thank you for taking my call um so you weren't hearing things last Friday when there was two females that popped in and then they never came back because I fell asleep like a heroin addict. And, um, uh, yeah, sorry. I, oh dear, I woke up, the program was over. Yeah, my bad. So, hi, workplace racism. Um, as far as the, the, the gentleman that spoke that, um, this is delivering COVID tests or picking them up. Um, now, if that happened the way it happened with him, I wouldn't have said a whole out. I uh, I wouldn't have said anything else, and I probably yeah I would have just left because you're not gonna flick and throw anything at me, so I wouldn't even been available to answer the question. I wouldn't have said anything else to him. But in general, if someone will ask me my salary, um, maybe without so much um workplace racism, I would answer. Um, but these days I would um would have asked, how come you want to know? Do you make enough here? How come? Why you want, why you asking that? And um, I like the question, Moe. That's always great. And then after a while, they get frustrated and leave you alone. I don't think I would share too much information these days because unless you're listening to the feedback from the other callers, it doesn't, um, it's not very, um, it doesn't do anything to benefit us. I remember um, just working at a hotel, not even full-time, but full-time hours, and when my supervisor saw that I drove a Lexus, not only did she cut my hours the next day, <laughs> she went and got her a car. It wasn't the same, but she went and got her a new car. <laughs> so um, sometimes it, it, it it's better to... Uh, keep uh, everything to a minimum unless it really has something to do with work. And then, too, they ask you these questions um, for their own personal reasons, and it's usually to sabotage the person in question. So um, I wouldn't, um, especially now listening to you guys, I definitely wouldn't um, give them any information, and I would shorten that right up and go in another direction. Um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, so as far as the COVID, um, I didn't even, I don't even watch the news. I didn't know what was going on. But, um, work for the school district and, um, it is crazy. So all these first day was the third, Monday the third class is in. So I, I hit, I do four different schools. 
Um, so I do four schools. I have four schools that I go to and um, do RBT. So I just stick and move, hit the children with behavioral issues, and go. I had one class I went to just to observe. Next day, somebody was diagnosed with uh, the virus. Whole class shut down. I haven't really been back to the class. I don't think I went by there on Wednesday, but the teacher hadn't come back, and it was only a couple of kids, so I just went to another class. Um, Friday, maybe uh, one school, so I went to two schools on Friday. So one school, it was 160-something children missing. The next school, 200-and-something children missing. I'm watching a video today. Uh, it was not a video. I guess the teachers were complaining amongst each other. So I was inside the class with the t- two teachers, and the children were at recess. So I'm just listening. And she played a video from, I guess, whoever the superintendent. And he was basically saying the kids are safer at school. So you're going to get them some N95 masks, you know, but your best bet is to leave them in school because, you know, they get for each day, there's they get paid. And then the special needs, it's triple the amount. Um, each day that they're there. So they want this money. They don't care about none of this. Um, So they give out COVID tests. So at the district that I work at, they're giving each classroom, each child takes home one of these to-go tests. And, you know, it's supposed to do whatever and send it in. Some kids send them in, some kids aren't. They're not testing. They'll test the plants, but they're not testing those kids because they want those kids out. And even during the vacation, parents are bringing the kids, probably ones that speak Spanish. And um, the teacher said she was just there doing something. And um, they was like, well, can I leave them here? Like, no, it's closed. Well, what am I supposed to do with them? Take them back home. I can't just leave them here with you because you're here. The school is closed. So just that kind of stuff. So, um it, it, it's interesting. Uh, the first day I went to one of my multi-schools, uh, and it's a white district. Well, the, the city is what well, used to be a sundown town. It probably still is. So uh, you can tell about the zip codes, though. The, uh, there's different, uh, not a lot of non-white people, but the, the better the zip code, the whiter the children, the better the school, better the playground, curriculum, desk. Uh, computers. So I walk into one of these sundown town schools looking like the Moto Mill boy because I'm just cold. So I'm all locked up and got the mask on. And, Can I help you? Mm-mm, I don't need no help. Why are you here? Who are you, who are you here for? I'm the RBT. I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Any terrorists? I don't know. What are you talking about? Okay, no problem. So I'm just about to I'm like, I'm here at this uh, school. Nobody knows I'm here, so I'll just wait on you. And so they come in, and she's here to save you. And then so maybe the next day. We gave you such a horrible welcome. welcome. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I was coming in here about to take one of these little kids. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you're here. So sorry. We didn't know. So, um... Get stopped in the hallway. Can I help you? No. 
Who who was for? Nobody. Oh, um, why are you here? I like, I got the trusty key. I'm here. I work here, and I got the trusty key. Oh, <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. I'm so glad to hear. Yeah, right. So, um, I guess Martin Luther King or something. It's Martin Luther King Day or something. Maybe it's tomorrow. So, all the kids in Sundown Town School, they're doing um, Martin Luther King. And so, uh, we're in the lunchroom. So, it's an Arabian little boy. And um, so, then, you know, ask the kids. They're in the lunchroom. So, I guess they have it, the tables and numbers, however they have it. Uh, it's not very social distance, but they try. These kids don't listen. So, he walked up to the little uh, rape. He's like, who knows who Martin Luther King is? So the little boy raised, you know, kids raised their hair. So she went up to the little uh, Arabian little liquor store uh, owner. And uh, <laughs> he, he said, what do, you, what do you want to say about Martin Luther King? So he said, "Um, so he was black and um, white people hated him and, um, they, they they hate black people and um so the white people they, they didn't want him around or black people so then um you you know they, they he was he was trying to have freedom and, 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 and white people didn't like him or black people and they didn't want him around and then they they killed him. So white people just killed him. White people killed him and um and so she took the mic. <laughs> she took the mic from him. So she was like, But wait, but wait, so you know white people do they they don't like black people and um they, they 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 killed him. They just shot him. So uh, she okay okay okay. So yeah um um we're gonna have you talk um another, yeah because you know can I say something else? Can I say something else? white people they they don't they don't like black people and um they 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 they, they killed them. <laughs> so <laughs> he walked away and they went outside. But I I just thought it was interesting. And then um we went into art. So then somebody said. Uh, something about what do you know about Martin Luther King? Well, um, he 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 had a dream, and you know he wanted everybody to be equal, but uh, they shot him. <laughs> so uh, I just thought that was uh interesting how the children perceived it, and um, I think they'll just keep it as a dream. They're not going to include the killing because they don't because the white lady that was talking to him felt some kind of way. Yeah, we still have work to do. Yeah, we're, we're, we still have work to do. Um, so that's my second week of uh, working with uh, these kids at the district. It's uh, interesting. I think I'm gonna. Um, I don't know. I was work. I was just a little disappointed with myself because I didn't negotiate my salary, and I got an okay salary, and it was better than what, uh, much better than what I had. But I didn't think to negotiate it until. Probably yesterday. So I have to do better um, as far as um, negotiating, but it's it's better than it was. So my um uh I uh the of course they every time I cancel because I haven't quit the job. I'm just on leave. So when I get off leave, I put in my two week notice. So I get off leave next month. So um the parent, she's uh one of the parents had called me. And she said, are you okay? You know, she's, well, how are you? Are you okay? So she doesn't really care. She just wants to know why I'm not there to babysit her little uh, baby. So um, I was like, uh, I'll call you. So I ended up calling. I just told her, uh, or she ended up calling me, and I just told her that uh, I wasn't coming back. Um, I'm going to leave because um, 
my arm, I hurt my arm. But I just told her I wasn't coming back, and um, she could either I I would suggest for her to get request another supervisor because the supervisor that you have that's over the case it's not beneficial for you. That's what I would do. And she's like, uh, well, I was thinking about another agency because they were supposed to be replacing you, and they never they never bring anybody to replace. You know, as far as uh, for me not being there to send somebody else to step in, and they've never done it. And um, I said, I'm not going to no agency. I'm not doing this. I've had enough. I'm not fooling with y'all kids like that. And so she said, oh. I said, I'll do respite. Like I told you, I'll do respite. I'll do that with both of your boys. But I don't want to be responsible for implementing instruction. I'm I'm done with that. And um, she said, well, okay, I'll just take them find another company and um, do it like that. I was like, yeah, that's your best bet because if you don't, that Spanish-speaking white supervisor is actually going to, uh, when insurance reviews and wonders why he's not excelling or thriving or meeting any of his marks, the supervisor is going to say because he's failure to thrive and they're going to remove, the, your insurance is not going to pay for the services. So just to save you, because he may be able to use the uh program, pull him back or get another supervisor so you can still get the benefits for the your son. So she said she would do that. So um, I'll see him. Um, I might fool with him because I do have him and his brother for respite. And I don't know how many hours they have a month or a quarter. I'll figure that out later. But I'll do that. And respite for me would only be watching the children while they either go to dinner, or lunch, do whatever, have a break from the children. I mean, from so they could get a break. So I would watch the children. I'll have to take them nowhere, do nothing. You want Oreos? Here's a whole you know, double stuff. And he's all take the iron to eat, eat this, eat all that stuff. He, milk, juice, juice. Here, he said all that juice. What you, what you want? What you want? Will you cookies? Here, here, take all that. Uh-uh, go ahead. It's all you. It's all you. So. That's what I want. I don't want to have to instruct or do this, do this. Hey, I, I don't want none of that. Oh, you want to jump off stairs? Okay. Your mama? Okay, go ahead. So as long as they don't kill themselves, that's that's what I'll do with them. And then what I'm doing with the district is just behavior. So I just do, dealing with the behavior and not too much. You got to, I don't have to snatch them up, grab them or nothing. You don't want to go? No problem. I, it's up to you. It's your life. You'll be in juvenile. I mean, not like that, but like that. So um, it's great. It's great for me. Um, so far, um, it's not as stressful as uh, dealing with all those kids and crammed up in those yucky homes. And the schools are yucky, but I stick and move. So I'm only there a couple of hours, and I and I stick and I just stick and move. So it it it's good for me. I'm in and out and. Uh, I'll go to these I don't even know these kids. And I walk in this class, and this instructor said, uh, could you go get such and such? I'm like, yeah, who's such and such? So I go out there, and such and such is outside. So I'm like, hey, such and such, why are you out here with the with the bucket on your head? What, what's going on, dude? So he's not talking. I'm like, what's, what's up, dude? You just want to stand out here? I'm like, go on in there and get your points or whatever. So he go in there. And then at lunch, he's having a moment because they have, you know, different disabilities. And um, they don't have any uh, 
there's no repercussion. I don't know what the system is. It's all reward, reward, reward. But they tend to be a disturbance, so I don't understand. I guess they'll get it together. So um, the little boy bamming his head on the wall. So then the Caucasian, uh, I guess they have a paraeducator. I don't know what that is. Sounds like a teacher aide, but maybe they call them paraeducators. I don't know. But paraeducator. He's like, can you work your magic with him? I go to I do. You can bust your head open, bam your head against the wall. Not bam your head against the wall, please. Go over here and eat. Please. So he eventually got up and did it. But it, it's just a trip. And then I'm walking in these classes and it's like, well, can you get her? Get her for what? What is she doing? Laying on the floor. They got the little black girl laying on the floor. She's allowed to get up. So she gets up, <laughs> goes, gets her coat, lays it on the carpet, lays down on top of the carpet, and then gets her other coat and covers herself and balls up. I said, so what, what happens with this? What do you do? So the Caucasian older teacher, she's, I pick my battles. Let her do it. So two days later, I come in, no sleeping on the floor, so-and-so. I'm like, well, hell, you, you let her sleep on the floor two days ago. I don't understand. I said, you have to be consistent. So, well, can you get her up? So I have to get, she took my phone and downloaded a game on my phone. And so I just went to the game that she had uh, <laughs> put, and I pushed the button, turned the volume up so she could hear the sound of the game, and she's, don't or whatever this game is, it, I said, okay, first do your work and then you play this. And then so the teacher's like, well, how you gonna how you gonna do that? I was like, look, she get breaks, right? I was like, well, I don't want her breaks. I'm gonna give her my phone and she's gonna play this game and I'm gonna set the timer and that's what's gonna happen. Or she's just gonna be laying on the floor acting how she been acting, what she wanted to do. Oh, she can play the game. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. So interesting. It's very interesting, but it's better than um, being in nasty people's houses. Ugh. So I'll leave my line. Thanks for taking my call. And thank you for the uh, uh, when um, my son called in last week, too. That was thank you for what you did, um, the um, information that you did give him, cause, because I'm sure he received it and he'll um, implement it accordingly. And I didn't hear everything because I nodded off. But thank you for... Um, what you share with him and I'll meet my line. Our young Bay Area scholar, we are all so proud. Um Bay Area mom, much obliged, very proud that she has moving on though. We could have the uh Jefferson's theme, like, man, better salary. Uh even though I felt bad myself, like, man, thought I had been encouraging folks like man this is uh, a a workers market like there are so many labor shortages like I started to take pictures like just in Seattle I've never seen anything like this so the Apple store at uh, University Village it's like mm, 20 blocks south from where I'm at right now Uh, the restaurant I'd already said they have restaurant restaurant that's like five blocks from where I am right now uh, they've had signs up for like months where they're not open for full weekends because they don't have enough staff. Uh, I told you the Whole Foods I mentioned in Roosevelt, uh, they were so short staffed 
They didn't have baristas. They were giving coffee away for free and self-serve because they didn't have enough employees to serve it. Uh, They had signs up at Starbucks that said the same thing. Please be patient. We are short staffed. Please be appreciative of the employees who did show up to work. Even the grocery store. Matter of fact, forget all that. Seattle, they have uh, cannabis dispensaries, right? Cannabis is legal here. The cannabis shops do not have enough employees to open. Not all of them, but it's this. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. So definitely negotiate everything. If that's salary, if it's vacation time, if it's hybrid work environment, if that's possible for whatever your chosen field is but negotiate see be as greedy as you can get as much as you possibly can because so many people and especially schools like my god like they had bunches of reports this week they've had bunches of them throughout but just this week alone like god they are short on everything substitute teachers and custodial workers bus drivers guidance counselors you name it they got shortages i mean hey they do not have any sort of leverage to be getting huffy and uppity what do you mean nigga? you aren't worth this this is what I think I'm worth. So everybody, if you're job hunting and all the rest of it, looking to switch job, this is the time to negotiate. Uh, let's see. I had another person not discussing salary in the workplace. And, oh, my gosh, she doubled down with the car. She doubled down. How many times have we heard that? She says she pulls up with the Lexus. Oh, man, we got to cut our hours. Man, man, this nigger is making too much. She got to let and went and got a brand new vehicle. I am not fitting to let this nigger woman come in here and show me up driving in with a Lexus. I told you we have heard that exact sort of thing over and over and over on neutralizing workplace racism. We even heard this when we didn't even have neutralizing workplace racism. I told you before black male in Washington, D.C. He called and said the exact same thing. He would normally drive his little jalopy into work, switched up one time and drove. Oh, my God. He didn't say he had a Bentley. He didn't say he had a Lamborghini. But it just wasn't a Pinto. White people flip. What in the world? How did that Negro get? Did you see? We got to fire him. We're going to get him fired. At least get a demotion. Like we got to get to work. This is an outrage and a disgrace. I wonder, did he steal it? That sort of thing. Rampant. I've never I can't think of one story, not a half a story, not even one that's like uh, in between. Where a black person showed that, hey, I got a nice house or a nice car or a good salary and something constructive happened. I can't think of one example. This all everything that we've heard this evening, even from other non-white people, unfortunately. That's what we got, folks. Uh, Let's see. Oh, my God, I totally forgot. MLK holiday is coming on Monday. So that's a whole nother round of tackiness. Like, man, that they'll prep for uh, Black History Month, uh, which is coming up in a number of days. Anything could happen. It might mean we're going to have fried chicken and chitlins uh, for lunch or someone asking you some, you know, wacky questions uh, and all about the holiday uh, and all on today. Just be prepared for that. If they do, you know, any goofiness, uh, they might even dress up as MLK. Who knows? Take notes. Be prepared so it doesn't catch you totally off guard. Don't feel like you have to respond immediately. Document if they do anything that's really wild and see if you can ask a question. 
Uh, but I love it. What do they say? From the mouths of babes. We can do all our Bible quotes today. We got angel of death. They say, a child shall lead them. They come in the classroom and I, what, is, what do you all know about the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? She said the little fella raised Oh, can I talk? White people hated him. And in fact, white people hate all black people. And he tried to work for justice and peace and they just killed him because white people just hate him and they hate all black people. And I've got one more. Cut all that. Okay, we are done with the King celebration. That's great. That, that, we, we don't need to hear any more of that. Let's cut all that off. Let's move forward. Like, hmm. I think A plus. Like, bravo. <laughs> Dr. Wellesley was brain computer genius. Child prodigy. My goodness. Also, might reflect much like our Bay Area scholar, just maybe this little fella has some attempted parents who tried to be honest with him about the world in which we live. Anybody who had a problem with what the little fella said, you could just hop in the question. Like, well, we are in a classroom. What did he say that was incorrect? Was Dr. King shot? Yeah, seems like it was. Okay, okay. Working for justice? Yeah, okay. Working against him. White people didn't like Dr. King or black people. Is that true? Hmm. Seems some evidence it might be. A plus, young fella. Smartest child in the class. You might even need to get bumped up a grade level. Music to my ears. Don't lie to your children. Do not lie to your children. Uh, let's see. The sleep, the having all of that, like, man, you go in and they have a black child who's sleeping on the floor. So we go in on Monday and that's cool. And they go, I don't know what to do. She just takes over the world. These five-year-olds, you just can't do anything with them. Okay. <laughs> so we come in on Tuesday. I get off the floor. You can't do that. <laughs> Which is it, man? Can I sleep on the floor or not? Come on, man. Let's have some rules, some structure. That's what school is supposed to be about. That's what people have been whining about this whole time, right? We need structure and kids got to pick back in there. Okay, okay, okay. She comes up with a plan like, hey, this is what it is. Get your work done. Then we play the game. What? How are you going to do that? That's crazy. Why don't you just leave her on the floor? <laughs> do what? <laughs> what is that? That's why she came to school to sleep on the floor. At minimum, we don't want to investigate. Maybe talk with the caretakers. Like, is she getting enough sleep? She have a good bedtime. Seems like she might be a little tired. No, we just let her nap on the floor. We don't need to learn anything. Work on any skills. White women educators. Uh, let's see. I love it not getting stuck in the workplace. Uh, the other parents, they can, you know, a bravo for trying to help the other parents and sharing information so they get resources for their children. But, yeah, I think we already talked about that and not getting stuck uh, in your previous line of work. It sounds like such a spectacular upgrade, getting better salary. and You don't have to be in all these private houses all the time. Like, I would hate that. Uh, even before COVID, I don't think I'd be too jazzed about it. But especially now, like, ugh. Uh, I'm sure the school is not immaculately clean either, but I'd much rather be there where they do have custodial staff uh, as opposed to somebody's residence and just hoping for the best type of a thing. Like, no, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm ecstatic. Don't let them uh, suck you uh, back into all that Bravo and helping out the uh, black children and parents. I'm sure they're appreciative of that. I also I hadn't considered the schools. There have been so much talk about schools and what are we going to do? How much money they miss out on students not being there. They've had so much talk about so many. I think they said it's like a, a drop in enrollment of at least 250,000 students fewer 
enrolled in college. A lot of factors. COVID is a big one, too. But they've been talking about that. That's a lot of money to miss out on schools as well. Not having those little bodies in the chairs. That's a lot of money to miss out on. And then from the parent side, she said the parent came up there like, can I just leave the child? Like, what? What do you mean? Leave the school is closed. Well, you're here. You can watch it for a little while. I <laughs> do what? <laughs> I just I was talking to B today. I told I said they had a whole lot of parents like, man. I'm totally done with this. Johnny has been at home. Jane has been at home for the last two years, and they have plucked my nerves. I'm done. Open the school back up right now. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. Like, it's been a whole lot of folks who have said that. So, Jesus, uh, it's almost sounding throwaway children. Like, my gosh. Uh, let's see. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, commentary to share. Uh, if we have missed you totally, if you have your own situation to share or whatever, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, caller in Alabama. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Alabama Railroader. Cuz I've been listening a while, man, and I've been wanting to call for a long time. Schedule just hadn't really matched up. But tonight, I am paid for it. And I got a, a bit of tagging this to segue into the Martin Luther King holiday. And this is a... Uh, coming from my national division, which is a part of the union, uh, one of the, the, the national divisions of the union the railroad that I'm with, and I got my local division, but um, uh, effective January the 10th, and I'm going to read a little bit of this, um, 2022, um, is to the national division staff, officers and staff, it's, it's a memorandum is to advise that effective the calendar year of 2022 National Vision will observe Martin Luther King Jr.'s Day, MLK Day, as a paid holiday. Dr. Martin Luther King was a staunch supporter of workers' rights and allied to the union labor movement. I have, strong, I have long believed that MLK Day should be a paid holiday uh, observed by all workers especially our union workers. Many railroads have consistently rejected our union's proposal of MLK Day as a paid holiday. Even now, during national negotiations, railroad continues to ignore our proposal for MLK Day to be a paid national holiday. Though many railroads may ignore the significance of MLK Day, the national division will not. Therefore, beginning 2022 and continuing each year thereafter, National Provision will observe MLK Day as a paid holiday on the third Monday during the month of January. Now, the irony of this is that this is the National Division, which is compromised of a whopping 0% of blacks. Now, the union... <laughs> The, the rank and file members, the railroad guys that I, I'm a part of, we we looking at this. And I got this from one of the, uh, the local general chairmen of my local lodge. He sent this to me and he asked me, "Am I am I crazy for thinking of thinking that? Am I too close to this? I want your opinion." And I'm like, "Wow, now it." You know, maybe they got different bylaws and ways they go about voting for, for, for changing the, 
whether it's paid holidays, but if you're going to be the, the body that represents us, and I and I posted this, it's ironic, I sent a post to this uh, National Division um, page, and I, and I posed the question, I said, now, if you're going to be the representation for us, why wouldn't, if you don't, if you know that we have to wait until arbitration to even ask for these, for this holiday, why wouldn't you wait until we all get it before you give it to yourself? I think this is bad optics. I noted that the uh, Dr. Hol- Dr. King holiday was established in 1986. Now you find it uh, time and suitable to, to, I mean, this. I, for me it's just, it's appalling, it's insulting, and that's just a part of the, uh, I guess you the team is the terroristic trash uh, tactics that they use. Um, as far as the COVID, well, we got this mandate that our company was going to um, start in January the 10th. They were going to be testing everybody that uh, was not vaccinated weekly. And, uh, I think it was just a memo that was sent out because I don't even know how they are going to begin to even verify who is vaccinated and who's not. They tried to do like a $1,000 giveaway to people that show their registration card. So I just think this is just something that they're saying. I don't think this is nothing that they're doing. It's uh, it's been a policy that we wear masks when we're we can't be outside and be six foot apart. But over and over and over and over again, the overwhelming majority of the management is white, and they all say, "I hate these masks. I think it's a bunch of trash." And so you get a you get a mandate, you get a rule saying that we should wear these masks, but you get the the leadership blatantly ignoring this rule now. So for me, I'm just making notes and I'm writing down because I'm saying if you're not going to enforce this rule, then what rule, you know, what are we doing here? What what are we doing? We're picking and choosing how we're doing this. So, I I mean, I know it's not a whole lot I can do, but I am documenting and I'm making notes of uh, of that, and so that's a lot. I mean, you got guys riding in vehicles together. You got a lot of guys that don't believe in none of it, and it's it's unfortunate that this company, on the surface, is taking it like they're so proactive. But once you get behind closed doors, nobody cares. Nobody is wearing a mask. Nobody is doing anything about it, and we've had outbreaks. And it's 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 kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Um, last but not least, I work with the one African American male that was on the Arbor Ahmad Arbor I know him. He <laughs> he is a older black male that loves the Lord, and I'll just say he. He will not cause any trouble. So I was, I was, I was concerned. I was hopeful that he would, you know, stand firm because he 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 he's been he's been beat up by a lot of 
the other system. He was an old railroader, and he's been out there a long time, and he's been done wrong so much that I think he's been he's been battered. But he, it, 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 it was amazing to see that this man was the one selected, and that's just another story for another day. Because I, I appreciate you. I've, I've learned so much about codifying myself, just being able to recognize what's going on. I think that's the first step that we can do to change anything is being able to see what what we had and what's going on. So I appreciate the show. Thank you, and I'll be with you. How about that? Much obliged, caller in uh, Alabama. Very appropriate uh, for the MLK holiday weekend. Uh, so much of his uh, <clears throat> career and attempted counter-racist efforts are associated with the state of Alabama, Rosa Parks, and what have you, Fred Shuttlesworth. Um, I'm so not surprised, though, all of that said. I guess either either component of it, if you want to take the COVID part of it first, like, um, I haven't been to Alabama in a long time, years, but, like, that's what I've seen in the news reports consistently, that whole, like, chunk of the country, so-called, like, that's really close to Florida and all of that Georgia, all right next door to Georgia. Uh, well, actually, that's really close to Florida, too. I forgot the top portion. I think they call it the panhandle. That's right there uh, at Alabama. So, I mean... All of that's the same thing. That's right close to DeSantis land and whatever. The white defiance. You're not going to tell me what to do. And I'm not wearing this mask and forget these mandates and whatever uh, about COVID. Lots of that from white people in that region, South Carolina, North Carolina. They've kind of boasted about their defiance. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, And that's the way to think about it, in my opinion. Like, hey, I thought, you know, we got rules and laws here about, you know, the mandate is supposed to take into effect. I don't know, you know, in terms of Alabama, what their state rules are and and all the rest of it. But I mean, we got these mandates, much less we got a health pandemic. Like, aren't we supposed to be taking it seriously? Nah, I'm not worried. I'm tired of all. (laughs) Like, what? Is this across the board? Like anybody that works for the company can just decide that I don't like this. I'm not wearing a mask. And that's just that. Like I said, we're in close quarters. We're riding together and that sort of thing. We're in the same cab. And it's, nah. He said, David, have they verified? Now, he said, if I heard the date correct, he said starting January 10, it's supposed to be testing. It's the 14th. (laughs) Have they not? What in the world? Are we just sending out paper, messing with folks? Just joking, just joking, just joking. We're not really (laughs) doing all. Is this so that we can lie so that it looks on paper like we're taking it serious? But like you said, once you actually get on the ground, behind closed doors, all of that, and investigate, eh. No testing. Do you know who's vaccinated? Psh, your guess is as good as mine. That's it's been lots of that all the way throughout this. Uh, I, I mean, they have said, particularly in that part uh, of the country, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, throughout because they said right here in Portland, that's where I am. They said the police wouldn't even take the vaccine. That was the same thing. They said the police department in Portland, we're not doing the vaccine. Doesn't apply to us. Right? It was so many of them that were non-compliant. Uh, they said we're not even going to enforce it with police officers. And it was the same thing. Everybody, they were supposed to be included. Vaccine mandate, you're supposed to get it. Nah, we're not doing all that. Look out for your health and safety uh, as best you can. That's what I've said the whole time. That's what we've been saying the whole time for this, really, uh, because this has been the sort of conduct with white people. He said they've had outbreaks and everything like, man, come on. Then the tackiness uh, with MLK on top of it. Now, I mean, hey, it's been 25 years of the King holiday. Like you said, why now? Like you just 
and in Alabama, no less. They got the lynching museum and all the rest of it. Y'all could have took a company field trip to go see that. Like, why now? And especially if it's going to be something that's just benefiting, like he said, it's all basically white managers, the white executives. If this is just going to benefit you all, get this paid holiday. Like, really? Really? You needed George Floyd. That's what it took for you. Dr. King has done a lot. Yes. He's important. Yes. His memory enough to motivate a holiday, a paid vacation for the mostly white management, but not enough to motivate you all getting some black managers at the railroad. Not enough for that. Hmm. Doesn't get any better than tacky. Good old Alabama. That's why they lost. No, not that Georgia deserved to win either, but that's why they lost the national championship. No count racist uh, white people didn't deserve to win. Georgia didn't deserve to win either. Uh, let's see. Uh, other folks who we missed totally. Uh, commentary, observations to share. Other folks have a hand up. Can I jump in here? Yes, sir. Caller in Ohio. Gus, it was uh, great hearing the um, broadcast you had on Wednesday with the uh, professor who was over in the UK. I'm planning on listening back to the full broadcast. I ended up getting uh, interrupted by a story on someone who uh, was in a tragic arrangement of epic proportions and has landed themselves in a paraplegic state uh, from messing around. Uh, I'm talking about it. It's absolutely crazy, but that was the end result. So I, I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I appreciate the fact that you actually brought in some white people because that's what I've come to learn. If you're going to talk about money, you talk about money with the white people, but as you, as the caller has laid out uh, earlier, who was asked about how much you made, um, you really don't answer that. Because here, here's, here's, the, uh, here's the inverse in which you do with that. Just go up to any of your white coworkers, associates, if you want to say that, and just ask them about their finances. I, I'm not even saying you ask them how much they make a year. Just ask them something simple as, you know, how much did you pay for that car that you drive? Or what's your car note on the vehicle that you drive? And just look how they respond. They... Uh, seem to stay ready with a deflection question because they're not going to answer that directly because you're talking about money. And one of the big things that I've come to learn about uh, racism and white supremacy is that uh, money to them is the, the key to them having power over black people because, yes, whiteness has it's, it's a currency in itself, but they ultimately know that that currency, physical capital currency is something that can be spent around the world. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, the money side is always going to be a, a big issue. And I believe that you should uh, interview more white people who are involved with the reparation side, because white people would know more about that than anything, because they paid out plenty of victims, uh, not just on the reparation side, but also uh, when you look at some of the operations they do in foreign nations and the collateral damage that comes from monkeying around with bombing people out with drones. They don't always hit their targets. Those things are accurate, but they ain't telling you how many uh, casualties outside of that happen, and then they have to go and uh, pay out families. So they are experts in paying reparations for harm done 
to individuals and their descendants. Um, another area that I touch on is also take a, a this is from what I've learned in terms of tech. I think you guys can learn anything from the tech side. If you take a very, um, how I want to put this, a very uh, critical view of security. So we, we always expect for everything to be something malicious. We expect, we have the expectation that anything coming through the firewall, anything that's sent as a request, we consider it to be a virus or some type of hack or attack, even if it's not. Why do we do that? Because if you take the uh, opposing view, which is, oh, just let everything through and just have just take it in good faith, you end up getting messed up when you run into the one that wasn't in good faith. And so I think you take that approach when you're dealing with your coworkers or even in business, because that's one of the areas that the, the smiling face comes around. Oh, buddy, how you doing? That's great to see you. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. We like what you got. And you can get fooled and think, oh, these people have good intentions for me. So I'd say take a pessimistic view of any question that's asked. And I think that by this point in time, we probably should have a pretty good idea of those questions that uh, coworkers ask, business associates ask in particular, whether they're white or non-white and have a codified response because with the the whole putting together black organizations, that's another area that I've come to see is really, I think it's good intention, but they have so many different ways to sabotage those things. I mean, you have to literally sit down and think about that before you even start the organization and just ask yourself, what are all the ways that I've seen them sabotage it? That's why I think having an understanding of ways that they've done it in other countries. I think that's an excellent way. Look at how, They've undermined government. They're, they're able to maneuver into, look at Haiti. I mean, look at how disarrayed Haiti is. Far before the president, the prior president was um, assassinated, you know, they kept Haiti in a state of disarray as a country. And the country is a group of people. You know what I'm saying? So study those things so that if you try to put together an organization, you have a better idea of how they're going to attack it. Yeah, sometimes the easiest way to attack it is to be like, hey, we support you. You know, let's pump money into it. And then you can just run it off the rails and it won't look that way because you, people will be like, well, why would they do that when they're putting tens of millions of dollars into this organization that's supposed to help, quote, unquote, black people or, quote, unquote, minorities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to the Bay Area mom, you sound like you're way happier now. Normally you sound like you, you'd be on that line, sound like you're drinking smoked liquor or something like you, you just fresh off a bottle and you called into the show to air your grievances. So it's very good to hear your, your voice sounds way more positive and uh, I look forward to hearing updates on it. It sounds like you're working at a, a white, white school system. I grew up in a very white area. So it, if there's any black students there, that is kind of a, a morality booster to be able to see another black person who's uh, an administrator. So I know for me growing up, like, uh, I think I've only had one black male teacher. I didn't have any black female teachers, but they'd be sporadically like a security guard who would be a black person. Um, I actually had a, a black female guidance counselor in high school, and that was about it. So I think it's always a positive thing to have, you know, the black kids have access to that. Uh, one of the things that you definitely will have to get used to is that passive-aggressive uh, tactics that white women love to use in particular in the education system, because 
I think like 93% of all the school teachers are white women. And that role you named about, I forget what it was called, but I had looked that word up before. And it's some type of like credential that the person can get, but I don't think they have to have a degree in education. They just have to be able to go and pass some type of test and they're able to have that kind of assistance role. But uh, I look forward to hearing more about, you know, the progress you experienced there. And with that, I'll mute my mic. Much obliged. Our caller in Ohio. Uh, I think Bay Area mom, I think she sounded happier as well. Like, uh, yeah, that previous uh, work environment was lame for so many reasons and they gotta fight with the television or compete with the television and then they compete with all the bad food that they're eating to try to teach anything and lame supervisor like way better environment uh and so far we're unanimous that doesn't mean anything it just could mean that you know the cows has a lot of illogical listeners type of a thing but so far unanimous all the folks who shit and i mean like today unanimous archives unanimous uh, i don't think we've ever had one person call in with one story where they shared any information about their salary financial situation what type of vehicle they drive and something good happened not one even when it was other non-white people involved not one no need to share that data at all not in the uh the undisputed truth isn't that it smiling faces sometimes a lot like maybe keep that one in mind people come up hey i'm a, what's, what's your salary and how much how much do you make there how much that's as he uh was explaining in terms of white people you flip it around and go ask them like oh man how much did you pay for that car what's your monthly payment are you leasing or did you buy like whoa you will see real quick like whoa 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 compensatory conversation control i am not fitting to share all of my financial information with this negro same tact same tact. yes sir um i i would add on that financial side really one of the ways i found that out greatly was i used to go to these um meetings for the municipality where i live and uh if you guys ever get a chance, it's a good idea to step into your local municipality. If you can go to those meetings, particularly when they're discussing the finances and who that municipality is doing business with, you'd be amazed by how much money is flowing through the municipality you stay in. And you'd equally be amazed at what they spend money on that you might not even think about, but they're writing big checks to a lot of these white companies that you might not think they're making bread, but they're making crazy bread. So when they see you up in there and you got those expense sheets that they pass out, they're used to the, always being the white people's hands. They start to act kind of different because they're like, well, now these Negroes are starting to find out where the money is going to. You get what I'm saying? They understand that generally black people, we don't know where the money comes from and where the money goes to. So it's like, eh, I don't got to worry about that. But they also know I can ask you questions about your money because you'll probably think that I'm just trying to be a good person and a caring person. So that's why I lay that out there. A lot of that information now because of, you know, the COVID, I suspect a lot of communities, those meetings uh, where they are going over contracts and things for the city might be online where you could watch some of that you know when they're doing contracts and all of this and hooking up white business owners in your city or your region or whatever it happens to be 
might be able to just view some of that comfortably at your home and study. Like, hmm, learn a few things. Uh, let's see. Uh, other anybody? We missed totally. Anybody else have a hand yeah, up? Here. I heard some. Yes, yes, sir. Oh, this is Nick over the road. If there's someone else who hasn't spoke yet, I'll I'll wait. Let's see. Any folks we missed totally? see we'll check in again uh nick over the road were you gonna share sir um yes about the the covid mandate i had um read an article in regards to um trump's mandate or whatnot um there were like um three states in the south who um who actually went to, I guess, their Supreme Court or the U.S. Supreme Court, and they mentioned that the contractors, because it was about the federal contractors um, having to get the, the vaccine, and these states um, had complained about these contractors providing services to, these, um, to their um, critical infrastructure and how it would, um, you know, basically... Um, um, cause cause problems in regards to main, maintaining their their infrastructure in their state and their uh, municipalities. So I think that might have been an issue. Um, in regards again to the contact with the security officer, um, I don't know the um, the the the, um, the policy on recording, but what I've learned um, since I've been wearing my body cam. Is that um, they are they are basically on their best behavior, almost to the point to where um, they're so polite to me that I almost um, think that they might not be a suspected racist, even even that far, until I realize that they keep looking at my chest because I wear it so often I forget that I have it on. You know they are really on their best behavior with that you know um, pass hitting the ground. Um, even just the simple nature of his job, dealing with, you know, these test kits or whatnot and picking up these tests, he could simply request due to the nature of my job, I have to reduce contact with the ground with my hands. You know, if you don't mind, can you print me out another pass? Um, just as that simple request right there. Um, and I think that's it. I said, I'm going to mute my line. Thanks for letting me speak. Super constructive. I love that one because uh, he, uh, our mail caller who was doing the COVID-19 testing, having to go and, and get the test kits and everything to do the do the deliveries. Hey, can't be touching the ground. Very sensitive test kits here. Can you please print me another sticker? Thank you kindly. Love it. <laughs> love And I suspect that's another one because you're in the question lane. Can you print me another one? Yes, no. Uh, but that's one. I suspect that's when you can do it one time. And that'll stick like, oh, this nigga here. <sighs> and they won't throw it on the ground anymore. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I don't know what the laws are, you know, in your jurisdiction. That's the same thing like with recording. But woo, that might be a great experiment for the workplace. Uh, having some sort of camera. Again, you might have to check your rules, too, because some workplaces, they don't uh, they have policies specifically against recording devices. But woo, if you can do it. Might be worth it because, man, they checked that that is a camera. Like, 
Good morning, Mr. Johnson. Good to see you. Here's your ticket. Put it in your hand. All right. Hope you have a great day and looking forward to see you on the way out. Like, wow, what is going on? Oh, he saw the camera. Mm. White people are not ignorant about racism. Frequently, they are very skilled if they want to pretend they are not racist. Anybody? We missed totally. Have our last few minutes before we are done for the day. We get anybody or get everybody? Caller in Florida? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Um, I just wanted to share a few observations. Uh, There is a new judge that has started. Well, he's been there for at least uh, by almost two years, and he seemed to be, uh, I guess, shocked that I had addressed him as judge. Like, he didn't know that I knew he was a judge. And today, all of the judges went to um, the renaming of the courthouse, the new courthouse, so law enforcement and uh, a lot of um, judges throughout the state of Florida were coming to the ceremony. So, you know, they were all gathering to go to the uh, ceremony at noon today. Um, so <laughs> the, the the clerk, I could tell he was, I think he was uh, experimenting. He was walking around, um, I think, wanting to get, some of the black staff members' point of view. I'm going to say mine, primarily me and another uh, black female. But, you know, I would just, you know, just wave or just say good morning or whatever. But, I, you know, I did say that I planned to speak with them, but not right now. I didn't feel like it. You know, I don't really have the the sense to do it right now. Like, I don't have the interest to do it. You know, I'm still taking a lot of notes. Um, As far as the COVID-19 in our near area, we've already have four people already out. Like, and there's one one of the four people, uh, her child was exposed, so they sent out the CDC guidelines email saying that um, you have to be out at least five days. So I guess they have it set to where people can do the remote um, working schedule if they have to be out five days. Uh, And they've been going around passing out the KN95. I think that's what it's called. So a lot of the employees been using those. Some of them having a problem with it. Um, I just use the uh, surgical type mask, but see, it's a lot of contradictions because the employees of the clerk, we work on the first floor. I think I mentioned this before. We are um, mandated to wear the mask, but see, the courts. So the chief judge has a set to wear the court um, employees upstairs 
they don't have to wear a mask. You know, the deputies don't have to wear a mask. The public doesn't have to wear a mask. So it's like, that's one of the things right there. Uh, how How is this going to uh, go on the decline, at least in our county, when you have that kind of uh, hypocrisy going on? Uh, there was two black male children that I took uh, passport pictures of and both of them did use the term mugshot like that was used, being used early in the um, uh, uh, broadcast I took the first child's picture and you know he was kind of like giggling uh, he looked at the screen while I was uh, getting it processed to be printed out and said oh man this is a mugshot so the mother was like, no, it's not a mugshot. So I printed that one out. You know, I addressed him as sir. Uh, I gave the child his picture. And the second child, um, his older brother, uh, he said something more detailed like, so with the mugshot, do I have to take it before it's mugshot and then I have to turn and take a mugshot? And she was like, no, stop calling it a mugshot. So I didn't really respond, but, you know, I had wrote that down. I'm like, man, I wonder where he got that from, like, at such a young age. So, unfortunately, he uh, was conditioned or or is being conditioned. Um, I have, uh, like, two more. The HR manager, uh, she parked near us last week in the uh, parking lot and we didn't know it was her and we was just asking questions on how was the job going so far and she was being honest like it seemed like she didn't like it you know and she's having to do all of these interviews and things like that but uh, my mom shared with me that she thought it was interesting that she seemed to continue to look or, or, you know, she seemed to look and continue to look at me while she was speaking to her, right? So she did this already before, but um, I don't know why she was just uh, trying to keep looking at me for some reason. I don't know. I guess the warden um, informed her about my emails and things like that. Uh, but other than that, I don't really have too many other um, reports to make, really, except for really if I could add just one more thing. Uh, They did announce that one of the white women at the front counter is going to be going upstairs to work at probate. So I don't know. Maybe um, she got tired of working downstairs or whatever. Uh, You know, one last thing, there was racism practice in the newsletter. The image that they used for a black female, they had it like pixelated, so it wasn't like a clear, sharp image. But everybody else's image, they had, you know, for the tacky Christmas, ugly sweater photos, they had clear, sharp photos, but the black female picture, you could barely see it. It was blurry, so I thought that was racism. Um, 
there's more I wanted to point out on that, but I'll just save it. But that's pretty much all I have for now. Thank you now. I know they didn't put the uh, ugly sweater winner in the newsletter with a grainy, unfocused picture, did they? Did that happen? Oh no that that was a that was a clear image that they made that they made sure that one was clear. <laughs> this is another black female that works at another building. It's called F and A Finance and Accounting. So it was it was a um, a picture. I guess it's the picture they use on a badge, and it had the white background. But I'm like, man, I, like why is it so blurry? You know, I think she did that on purpose. The the warden, of course, she um, constructs together the newsletters. So I, I think she was uh, practicing racism with that. Mm, mm, mm. 2022, we can't even get a focused, clear picture uh, of a black person in the newsletter. Like, uh, you can ask for 4K and all the rest of it, just... <laughs> Focus doesn't have to be all grainy. <sighs> At least they got the ugly sweater winner in there. Crystal. Make sure we show that one off. Uh, we knew the tackiness was going to abound with the new courthouse. He had been telling us about that, naming that after the uh, black judge. Uh, if anything, that's just uh, the unjust networking where they've talked to folks who don't even work at the local courthouse. They got judges coming from all over the state and other white people like, oh yes, we've heard of you, the Negro. Mm. Coming, same thing we've been talking about. Let's come and get information. Yes. What do you think about this? Mm. Mm. Studying. Uh, the mugshot, I don't know what to say about that. Like, my goodness. <laughs> like, they just conditioned black people as criminals from the youngest age. Like, what? what do you even know? about a mugshot like uh much less to be talking about this is your mugshot and now you got to turn to the side like my goodness <laughs> like uh i don't they call it school to prison pipeline i don't know maybe they talked to him already about what to expect you're not preparing to take your school photograph you're preparing for your mugshot at all times at least the black students like dang uh, let's see in the same focus you see the same thing he said the the judges and folks came and they, yes, what's your view? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Writing that down. We'll discuss this later. And then he said, they go talk to the HR woman. Oh, how's it going? And she's answering the question and it's steady. Where's my attention? Mm-hmm. Our troublemaking Negro. Keep an eye on this one. Mm-hmm. Asking questions. Again, you cannot be classified as white. Be ignorant about racism, white supremacy. Just doesn't happen. Uh, one of the main things that white people talk about they're niggers, and especially if they have any that seem like they might be a little bit less confused, asking questions, that sort of thing. Major topic of discussion. Any hoodles. Uh, basically did our three hours. Uh, we will be here tomorrow. I guess I'll take a quick uh, moment. So we'll be here tomorrow. Compensatory call in. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Catch up on what happened this week. We'll be here Sunday, Global Sunday Talk on Racism. 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, early time again, just like uh, a couple days ago because folks are coming from other parts of the world. Catch up on uh, the virus, New Year, all that. Uh, We will be here next Wednesday. Now, we're doing a switcheroo. Uh, I hate doing this, but... 
Uh, we were trying to get a white guest. Said that before, white guest only. Was trying to get this white guy on the program. He wrote a report talking about how a black female that he knew when he was four years old stopped him from becoming a racist at four. That was why I wanted to talk to him. Unfortunately, he's a journalist and he only has Thursdays and Fridays where he's available during our normal broadcast time. So I had to swap, move the book club for next week. It will not be on the normal time on Thursday. Instead, it'll be next Wednesday. So we'll be here next Wednesday. Alice Seabold Lucky Thursday will be here for the white man. We will get to hear how in the world were you becoming a racist at four years old? And allegedly you being around some older black female stop this process. We'll chat that up next Thursday. So tomorrow compensatory call in 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Sunday, global Sunday talk, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific. And then we'll be back on Wednesday for the book club. Thursday for the white man. Both of those are normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You get lost, confused, until justice at gmail.com is the email. Much obliged for all the folks who tuned in this year Friday. Hopefully it was worthy of your time and energy. Uh, sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy racism. Keep that brain computer working efficiently. Uh, if you're out and about, you see somebody being hostile and rowdy exit. You should be thinking this could be Kyle Rittenhouse. In fact, this could be an armed white woman, armed white man with an entire armed entourage at the ready. If you don't have the Opalaka 3 that you can call to come and get your back immediately, you should behave as though, man, I did not leave my residence prepared to kill and or die, nor do I have an armed gang to back me up. I am out of here. Logic. Call enforcement officials as you exit. If you're in a vehicle, you're sober, buckled up, not on the cell phone, doing all the small things that we can to stay as safe as we can under very dangerous conditions. All of that said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no gossiping cows signing out thanks all for Goodbye. tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim Your brother problem. you're a victim I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>